Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Sex Caliber Bones a lot. Madeline, Edward, Sunzi, Alyssa, Vixen, Holly, Natasha, Laura, Boezy, Jeremy, Allie, Mr. Rage Bomb, Libby, Wes, Dreskel, Aaron, Kristen, Tia, Jonathan, Isaac, and Karoon, but because I forgot last week, and also a big thank you to Amanda in the Facebook group for reminding me, it is now that special time of the month where we get to shout out our You Can Get It level sponsors, and they are Samantha, Trevor, Renee, Tara, Jennifer, Levi, Caitlin, Kate, Dharma, Grace, Amanda the Playwright, Alexandra, Brooklyn, Eli, Bryce, Sean, Logan, Jamie, Shayna, Ali, Dr. Voorhees, MD, Robert, Megan, Amelia, Lisa, Martha, AJ, Radioactive, Spider-Gwen, Rock Donkey, Irene, Naomi, Bex, Amy, Laura, Cameron, Casey, Daisy, Jackie, Tyson, Alisa, Mushroom Snail Fox, and Unintentionally Badass. And all the patrons want you to know you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome Horror Virgin community, and if you want to hang out with us do so in the facebook group where we will be hanging out and discussing this bonkers ass movie daily i've never had anyone in the podcast that i like actually cared about in a way that is a personal way so like i'm gonna try not to be embarrassing It's not like in movies where like your agent is your best friend. I I, I, I never met this person. My agent used to used to call me in for meetings and be like, "You should tell more fat jokes." I was like, "Wow, thanks, Barb." Uh, thanks, Barb. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey, and I'm your Horror Virgin Todd. Which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. But this week we also have a very special guest, Jason Pargin. Yay! I'm sorry, right off the top, I have to say something because just for our own safety, for my safety, for the safety of everyone on the show. Okay. There's a thing online where if you say something negative about, for instance, Taylor Swift, okay, you will have a swarm of 30 million Swifties mm-hmm. descend on you like a pack of bees. Mm-hmm. Is Five Nights at Freddy's one of those things where if yes. oh. I make fun of it too hard, I'm going to be swarmed with nine-year-olds. That's a good question. Me for not getting, I, want, I need to know that now before we get any further into the show. 
Uh, definitely. Uh, let me tell you a little tale about the time I dared to criticize Scream 5. Uh, and I texted Todd shortly before we started this recording to just say, I finished the movie and I'm collecting my thoughts for how to kindly say them. But it's like a kid's game, right? This is I've never played the games. Todd, you're more... Todd, you played the games, right? I asked Jake if they were kids and he said no. He said they're just games. Uh, no, they're definitely kids' games. Yeah. They're kids' games. I mean, they're scary, though. Like, they're I, for children. I've played them many times. Do not like them. They're very scary. But Mikey's right. They are for children. <laughs> well, so because I brought this up, I asked my, my husband, are these games for children? I feel like I do have a, a higher threshold for magical realism within video games than I do for, let's say, movies. Sure. Sure. So the, at baseline, if you're going to be extremely faithful to the source material, which I think this movie is, I think it's like almost to a fault. Is it? Yes. Uh, from what I have heard. This kid's game has a lot of kids murder. That's why I'm saying it's not a kid's game. This Todd played the games, right? Todd beat the game. Todd, is there a lot of child murder in the game? Oh, it is such a stretch to say that I beat any of these games. Uh, <laughs> I was paid handsomely to play these games for a few hours on stream, so I did that. I did not pick up much of the story in the, I don't know, probably cumulative 10 hours I spent screaming playing this video game. I think one of many things that happened with this movie to make it maybe not my most enjoyable movie experience is a, I was not familiar with the lore and never played the games. So I am like a blank slate going into it. But B, I feel like the story was structured in a way that would be conducive to a fun game because you would have a lot of time to like do things, put puzzle pieces together, figure it out. But it's really not structured well for a movie. And I think this was a chance to streamline parts of it or enhance other parts to make it a better movie story experience but then at the end of it you're still stuck with the fact that it's the ghosts of children inhabiting robots in a defunct Chuck E. Cheese thoughts so so Jason I think what we're saying is like fuck them kids the movie's not good I will <laughs> defer to the author on the podcast as to whether the story holds up I know right well anyway back to introducing myself <laughs> yes <laughs> sorry now that we have this out of the way my name is Jason Pargin uh, yes. I used to be the executive editor at crack.com from 2007 till 2020 back when in my mind that was the glory days of the site. I also yes. have written a series of novel novels, including one called John Dies at the End. That became a film and is the thing I'm most famous for. If you are unhappy with anything I say about Five Nights at Freddy's, please take it out on me as an individual, not on my publisher <laughs> or anyone associated with me. Direct your criticism directly to me. Do not stage a nationwide boycott of my books. Leave them out of it. It's between it's between us. I'm hopeful that that will be the case, that, that people will understand that your thoughts and comments on this podcast are solely your own. And solely based on the merit of the movie we watch. Sure. Although when they kept like moving the goalpost on what they were, oh, they're ghosts. Yes. No, they're just animatronics. No, they're... Right. Now, at one point they say... He used the bodies to make the robots? The bodies are inside the, they're inside the robots. So what is happening? Are they ghosts? Are they animatronic robots? Or are they just kids in these suits with their yes. brains? What, Paige, you can't say just yes to that. You figured like, it out, Doc. <laughs> you, you, you got it. I, I just sort of loved the way they just kept moving the goalposts like every scene. I was like, oh, I sort of like respect the level of 
who knows what's happening? There's one moment towards the end where the little girl is like, what's happening? And I was like, I was thinking that. I have no idea why anything is taking place, but it's like flashy and fun looking. So I'm here for it. I do like the vibes. Yeah. I want to interrupt y'all talk about the movie to talk to Jason because I read <laughs> all of his it. books in hardback and I love the Zoe series and I love the John Dies at the End series. And uh, I don't know if you two read them, but I read them all and I just wanted to say <laughs> they're fantastic and y'all should buy them at home. I am trying not to lose my mind right now, Mikey. Yeah. 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 I grew up on cracks. Like, yeah. And, and that is the golden age of crack. It is. One hundred percent. The yeah, the book that I'm here promoting is called "Zoe is Too Drunk for This Dystopia." Yeah, it's a sci-fi novel. If you have enjoyed any of the things I've written, you'll probably like this. If you have hated the things I've written, you will hate this too. That makes sense. <laughs> Everything I write is kind of the same, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I would just call that consistent. Yeah, and branding. Yes. Yeah, it's a consistent brand. There you go. Yes. So, but what did you guys think about this movie? I'm assuming it's the first time we all saw it. Yeah, yes. I watched it for this podcast, but I have a little bit of a weird history with this because. I knew, of course, of Five Nights at Freddy. You cannot exist on the internet without knowing about Five Nights at Freddy's. Of course. And I had seen when the movie came out in theaters, somebody was posting on Twitter they, and they said, during the MatPat cameo, my whole theater stood up and screamed. My friend told me the same thing. When I told him I was going to watch it, he was in that screening. He said the same thing happened. Yeah. I stared at the screen for several minutes like, who is MatPat? Is he yep. a character <laughs> in the movie? Is he the guy that made Wait, the game? Who is that? So there's two YouTube cameos in this film. Oh, okay. One of them is the taxi driver. And uh, there's another oh. one. And I do not remember where it is. But Armando warned me about it ahead of time because he saw this at a, like an, an advanced premiere screening. And he said the same thing that like the theater erupted every time and he said in both cases they like turn almost towards the camera and say their catchphrase and that's when the theater erupted and i was like i don't know who either of these people are so it's lost on me when we go through the plot i'll mention one of them because it's really awkward but my point is is that i had previously thought that five nights at freddy's was a pc game that had become hugely popular because streamers liked to stream it and then react to it. Yes. And so PewDiePie or whatever would act like how scared they are that the animatronic almost got me. And I thought it was just a phenomenon among the kids who like to watch streamers. And it was just, that was it. Like, it was like it, there's games that come along that are big streaming hits where people don't necessarily play the game, but they enjoy watching streamers play it. And this game seemed built for that. Like it's all jump scares. It's all, it is, you know, the, the streamer going really broad with their reaction. I, and I don't know if you do that in your show. I, that's fine if you do it. It's Todd goes broad reaction. Yeah. <laughs> generally all over. Yeah. Guilty. People clearly love it. So then they announced it that they were going to make a, a movie out of it years ago. I thought, yeah, that's kind of a thin premise. And then they made that Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah. Willie's Wonderland. Oh, yeah. And I thought that's what this, I thought, oh, they, they renamed it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, they took the, because Five Nights at Freddy's is not that big of a brand. They just gave it a more generic name, cast Nicolas Cage. And I thought that was the movie. And then they're like, oh no, it, the Five Nights, when they released a trailer and people were reacting like it was Avatar. It cut a mean trailer. <laughs> it did sure. cut a mean trailer. I saw it. Yeah. And then they started it, streaming, but also grosses like $300 million worldwide. Yeah, we'll talk about like, it. What is happening? Yeah. 
So then I go on social media and try to figure out what is going on and see people talking about this people standing up and shouting at the screen in the theater. And I'm like, are they watching it ironically? And then it turns out there's all this lore, this deep lore that they know. And there's volumes of fan wikis and videos. And that Matt Pat is a YouTuber who has a video with like 60 million views about Five Nights at Freddy's <laughs> going into the Easter eggs. So it turns out there was an entire subculture yeah. that I didn't know about. And I thought where I thought the movie was just going to be this cheap knockoff movie about a game that just trying to cash in on this game that was briefly yeah. popular that I thought the movie was coming out long after everybody had stopped playing the game. But no, it turns out it's a national obsession and I'm simply too old to understand it. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, is this the one of those first things where I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm old now. Like I don't get this. <laughs> I'm, I'm too old for this, 100%. But I do think this has been in production or pre-production for the better part of a decade, it felt like, because there have been... So we did Halloween Horror Nights this year, but what we missed last year was a Five Nights Maze. So really? like, Okay. Yes. So And it's almost like always a year behind. But that was what I was trying to Google around and find. And I think without playing the game and without knowing, I was kind of lost. But... It's got so much lore. I feel like that's part of where the movie fails is because it's unknown to people who are not familiar, right? So, like, you can't go too far into it, but without that lore, the premise is kind of thin, and so you kind of lose both ways. Either you go too deep cut and you alienate a whole bunch of people who don't know, or you go too generic and it it just kind of doesn't stick together. But I think this is one of those movies that the fans loved. And if you weren't a fan, maybe it's just not for you. And that's okay. How old are the fans? Because I recognize PETA from The Hunger Games. Like, I know yes. who that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the first game came out in, like, 2014-ish, 2015. So it's, like, not quite 10 years old, but close to it. But, yeah, like, I get the vibe that the fans of the game are young. Like, uh, <laughs> to put it in perspective, one of my best friend's nieces was obsessed that this movie was coming out, went opening night, dressed, at, not dressed in, like, a costume, but, like, wearing merch, you know? like excited about this movie and he was like it could have been the worst movie in the world and she would have come out loving it so like it does have a rabid sort of a fan base so i understand why jason came in with that like question at the very beginning <laughs> like are we okay uh, I, I didn't think about it but now i'm worried as well yeah a, a lot of people in our group commented that it was something they had played along with their kids because I don't think it's strictly a kid's game because it is scary, but like... It is scary. Yeah, I think it's something that they played together and maybe it became kind of a gateway horror game in families, but also it is tailor-made for streaming. Yeah. And in the advent of streaming and Twitch and everything, I think that helped its popularity immensely. Oh, it, it definitely did. I, I don't think the, the game would have like picked up as much steam without bigger streamers playing it and then, of course, everyone buying it because they saw... PewDiePie making videos out of it or things like that. Like it is sure. a success story of a new style of marketing that like really appeals to me as someone in that line of work in my day job. But like we probably shouldn't dig into the uh, the idiosyncrasies of that here. Sure, sure, sure. Because that would be very boring. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I asked myself, though, because I was kind of frustrated with what we your question earlier of like what exactly is happening in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, 
man, like there were so many scarier ways this could have gone. Like you started this with robots that had lithium batteries that allowed them to roam freely. I was like, this could have been Terminator inside a Chuck E. Cheese. And it's not. Instead, it's murdered kids that some sort of supernatural thing, but also a, bra- a rabbit. And I don't know. Like, but as I was thinking about that, I was like, is that any weirder than Malignant, where she has no, a twin with arms coming out of her back? Or in Pope's Exorcist, where the Virgin <laughs> Mary orbs up out of a pool of blood and then lightsaber fights them to duel of the fates? Yeah, no, it's not. It's not any weirder than any of that. And I loved both of those things. So I I had to kind of like temper my feelings, I think, about it. Yeah, so I get why this isn't a good quote-unquote movie. It's all over the place. But when Matthew Lillard comes out dressed like one of them and is somehow immune to the taser, I was like, hell yeah, let's, let's go. Let's roll on this movie. No, I, I mean, was here for it. I, I kind of—it's like a Mikey movie, Mikey. There's no reason for you not to like it. I'll be the qu- <laughs> contrarian here. I would. I. I. I kind of. I dug that it's a kids movie that's about a child murderer and that and like he's like yeah. It's really funny that I murdered your brother and now I get to murder you. And I was like, oh my god, this is so dark for this movie. I was not expecting any of this. I had no expectations, but I kind of dug that part but it does get a little weird and boring throughout yeah it has pacing issues and also that girl's like the worst cop in the world when she revealed that she was his (laughs) daughter i lost my mind i think this is one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my entire life (laughs) (laughs) yeah get them yeah kids kids out there who are listening if you have their kids out there the stuff that i was into when i was a child also sucked Yes, it was all terrible. It, it was yeah. it was it was worse than this. So please, I'm not trying to feel superior to you. It's <laughs> the, the, when companies make things for children, they just don't try very hard because they figure, oh, their kids, they've not seen anything before. They don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not this is not criticizing your taste. All all children have terrible taste. You will see better movies later on and you will look back and you will chuckle. To yourself i agree but yeah i felt like one of the things that made this movie a little less scary is that it just took too long to get to things because yeah. they were building so much lore yeah i think two nights at freddy's would have been a, a, like a more <laughs> would have sufficed. tighter paced there, there was a strong hour of dreams and his woes at his job that i was like when are we going to get to people dying uh so like pacing wise i think that would have helped it. you could have cut out all the dream stuff yeah. And just had it be revealed like it's revealed at the end that Matthew Lillard in a Teddy Ruxman suit killed his brother. Like, you don't need any of that dream stuff. Or at least cut it down to just one or two dreams sure. instead of like 17. <laughs> so we noted that on INDB, this movie has five screenwriters, including mm-hmm. the creator of the game. And then they they have brought on, by my count, four other people who are veteran screenwriters, I think, to try to hammer it into shape right i will say right off the bat the format of that they're trying to do here is a nightmare yeah Yeah. because it's called five nights at freddy's and if you hand somebody if you go up to any writer any writer in the world anybody's got any writing experience say hey we want you to write us a movie about a guy trapped in a restaurant with animatronics the chuck e cheese the animatronics come to life exactly 100 percent of those writers will write you something where there's a little intro, then they get into the restaurant. They'll figure out different parts of the restaurant to, to vary up the settings. Maybe it yep. has a basement, maybe it has an outbuilding. But 
the whole movie will take place yes. in that facility. Yep, yeah, 100. To break it up where five, he has five different shifts and you sit down writing it knowing that he has to leave four <laughs> times. So I, I show up at the scary place. And the scary thing happens. And then I go home and go to bed. <laughs> right. And I ignore what I just saw. <laughs> the next day. Back, all right. Back to the haunted thing. It would be like if the movie if the movie Die Hard took place over the course of a week. And John McClane kept going back to his hotel at, every night. Taking his shoes off. Curling his toes up on the rug. And then going back the next morning. Going to sleep. Taking a shower. Putting his tank top back on, yeah. coming back in. To, All right, back to my ship, fighting the terrorists. Like it just destroys the tension, but it's called Five Nights at Freddy's, right? That is a writing nightmare, and you can watch this. And I think we're gonna go go through yeah, it. Yeah, we are. You can see them struggling to because there'll be like one scene that takes place during the day. And they will do like one thing. They will have like breakfast and he's just right back at the restaurant. It's like <laughs> they begrudgingly, yes. it's like, okay, guys, it's 12 hours has passed. He's back at work again. Yeah. Okay. Just trust, trust us. An entire day passed and not nearly <laughs> enough stuff has happened, but they could not figure out what to have him doing so that you're not completely breaking the tension, which it does. It does. It just, it still does. You have so many scenes where the guy is just falling asleep and just taking a nap and <laughs> going back home and he's bored and yeah and his aunts take custody of his little sister. I was like, this is an interesting subplot for this. Uh, oh yeah, this a really complex yeah. subplot here for kids. They set up like a lot with that aunt for her just to get, I think, murdered at the end by one of them. I think murdered. Yeah. After he Ubered to her house, I, I can't. We cannot talk about it. That is the we, most we, insane. When we when yeah. we get there, yeah. we will talk about it because I have thoughts. For, <laughs> in, in screenwriting school, the structures that were drilled into me, uh, I would have if I was writing this movie. You're absolutely right because I would have made it one night. Like, why would you do five? You would never leave if you knew it was that scary. Like, max two nights or whatever. It had been 15 minutes at, at Freddy's for me. Like, I'd have been out so fucking fast. Well, and A job? A job. <laughs> the structure of a horror movie would necessitate that you basically trap them there. And you hit your beats as the night goes on. It gets scarier and scarier and scarier. And then they have to either be alive or dead by dawn. Like, that's how it works. Here's what you do. It's a snowstorm. Yes, yes. exactly. Oh, oh, my God. Jason go. fixed it. The guy does a shift. There's a blizzard. Like, this is, again, 85% of the writers you hand us yep. to. They'd be like, well, okay, he can't leave. Why? Boom. It, it's a, There's a snowstorm. It's knocked out the power. Yeah. You're trapped there. Like that's, that's why he's got to take his sister in, because he didn't want to leave her trapped at home in the snowstorm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. It, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, there's, there's your whole, there's your movie. But, again... This is the problem with adapting. Now, granted, if you just wrote that movie from scratch, uh, that movie grosses $50,000 at the box office yeah. and go, gets dumped directly to streaming and is watched by 300 people. It does not make $300 million worldwide. <laughs> right. So yeah. having the the, the advantage of, ha of being able to adapt a property that you know kids are going to see literally no matter what you put up on the screen, uh, that's the advantage. The downside is that you now have to somehow – structure it around this impossible five night structure and then fit in all of this other crap that that would not be there if you were just writing the movie but it's apparently part of the game lore yeah. part of the lore i'll i'll burn a fun fact uh, right now so even before the movie was released 
uh, Jason Blum said in an interview that it had already made back its budget by selling the streaming and theatrical distribution rights before it came out. Like, wow, it didn't even it wasn't even complete. And it had basically made its budget back. So this was a like slam dunk. They just knew it was going to print money no matter what. So, yeah, I don't think they were as concerned with our like in the third act turn. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. They, yeah. They everyone involved in this movie is listening right now and just laughing their way just, to the bank. Just making the jerk off motion. <laughs> because they made shitloads of money off of this. Yeah. But I got to see Matthew Lillard be like as insane as he was in the original Scream. And I was here for that. That's fair. I my my husband watched part of this with me and he feels like they underutilized him. And I was like, agreed. Whenever you have a chance to put Matthew Lillard, Lillard on the screen doing crazy stuff, you do. Yes. Yes. The moment where Matthew Lillard shows up and pulls off the mask, that is not a twist for the final act that shows up on page 60. Right. Of your screenplay. That is your big turning point where you're not just going up against the haunted robots. Now you have a human face to be a bad guy played by a guy who is great. That pain yes. playing big, broad, and let him choose scenery for the last yes. 40 yes. minutes of the, the runtime. Yes, please. Jason, I had this exact thought when I looked at the time when they revealed him and it was less than 20 minutes to the end of the movie. And I yeah. was like, God damn it. They reveal him like it's an episode of Scooby-Doo, not like it's a Hollywood movie. Yes. Right. Yes. But you paid for Matthew Lillard. Like, let him do his thing. Yeah. Let him lalard all over the screen. And he was doing it. But that's not the game. Well, and, and not only did they pay for him once, he, so uh, to burn another fun fact, Scott Cawthon, who wrote the game, uh, he basically said that if the first film were to be successful, there should be a second and third film following the events of the second and third games, respectively. Uh, and in an interview this past January, Matthew Lillard revealed that he had signed on for a three-picture deal. Heck so yeah. So I think you're getting two and three, no matter what. Heck yes. Which maybe gives them more room story-wise. Let me be clear. This movie made back 20 times its budget. Yeah. We're going to be getting Five Nights at Freddy's movies until the sun burns out from yes. the sky. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We will, they will still be making these long after we're all dead. They're, they will, like three movies, no, no, they will keep. That we keep making them forever. Even if this the creator says, "Well, no, I don't want to make any more movies." The studio will simply say, "Oh, that's okay. We'll look, look, read the fine print. Yeah, this we're happy a, to do it without we you. We own this. Yeah, we <laughs> yes. will. It's fine. We will continue to create these bitches out until the end of time." Yeah, we got seven underworlds, and it didn't make anywhere near three hundred million. <laughs> True. True. How many Hellraisers do we have, guys? Like uh, nine, ten. I think it's ten. Oh God. A lot of them. Oh, well, maybe we should just focus on this movie so we can power through this one scene by scene, though. Let's go. Let's go through it. So we open on what I was would assume would be the previous caretaker of Freddy's trying to crawl into a vent to escape. It's the last security guard. We, we see what yeah. happens to him and why the position becomes vacant. Right. Uh, and they do. This is the first time we see that like chair clamp thing <laughs> and that more skeletal skeletal monster guy with like a spinning blade face. There you go. Well, it seems like all of them open up and blade face people or can like the cupcake guy does that too, doesn't it? I have so many questions about that fucking cupcake. So is the cupcake? Yeah. Is like a fetus or like a small child? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. 
The uh, film does not explain any of what you're looking at. So, yeah, it opens with security guard escaping through a it's one of those air vents that only exists in movies where it's like big enough for uh, an adult to comfortably stand up in. It's a John McClane air vent. Yes. Yes. And uh, they strap him to this chair with manacles. And then there's this face blender thing that's coming down to grind his face up. But so you think. Oh, that's the machine they put people in to turn them into an, an animatronic or something, maybe. Yeah, but it turns out, no, that's and in fact, we will never find out what that machine does. It will come back later. We will never find out what that is, why they have it. Maybe in movies two and three. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, they're, it's foreshadowing for a murder chair. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, we cut to Josh Hutcherson getting up. Uh, and waking up who I initially thought was his daughter and I will find out later is his sister, uh, his sister, Abby, so he can go to work. He also talks to the babysitter on the way out who seems to I thought she was maybe a relative or something, but then she seems to like turn on them. I think it's his roommate. Is she a roommate? No, because she leaves. She doesn't live there. Yeah. OK. Yeah. She's like a neighbor. This is one of many screenwriting 101 things there's several in this movie mm-hmm. where if you were taking a class and wrote a script for a class project the the teacher would say no 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 you have an adult with a little girl they're going to assume that's his daughter it's yes. important to establish it's not it is important for story reasons to know she is not yeah. it is crucial the first time they speak you need to cleverly work in dialogue you're not my dad or, you know, like something, something, you know, this is, this is 80% of writing. You, you have information that the audience needs to find out and you have to find a way to feed it to them in a way that they don't know they're learning information. They think they're listening to two people banter. Right. So in the banter, you need to establish that he, ha- he has custody of his sister. You don't find that out. Like four scenes later. I know. I thought yes. it was his daughter for like 20 minutes. <laughs> Me too. That yeah. is a fundamental flaw because it's not a minor point. The entire issue of the, his having custody of her being a tenuous thing is based on the fact that it's not his daughter. He has custody of his sister. Right. And you don't know that for the longest time. And the same thing, there's this other adult woman there. And it's kind of made clear that they're not romantically involved. But mm-hmm. is that his ex? Is that his sister? Even to this day. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. They never make it clear who Max is. It's just this woman because later she just, you know, as we you mentioned, she's going to turn on them. And it's supposed to be like this shocking twist. But it's like, OK, is this a family member turning on him? Is it just somebody he hired off Craigslist? Right. To watch. <laughs> how does she know his aunt? Like, how did that connect happen? <laughs> this is a fundamental thing for writing a movie that even horrible movies do they'll have a little bit of because bad movies they're just very direct about it yeah they'll have that's where you get things like uh i'm sorry we've been married for five years how do you not know this yes it's like you're telling the audience we've been married for five years (laughs) audience did you hear that (laughs) they don't even do that it's a character telling you information that doesn't sound like they would naturally say it in the scene that's that's bad writing yeah whereas this movie they just don't do it at all (laughs) it's very weird well i think it's because it thinks everyone going to see this will have played all of the games and understand who everyone is and that's just not the case the babysitter 
is the babysitter a character in the games? The babysitter can't be. Well, she must be. If I was writing this as a screenwriter, it would be his daughter, not his sister, because we're going to establish that he has a dead brother. And that's too many weird sibling things in a row. Okay, well, how about this? His parents are dead. I guess he just doesn't care. Right? Because, like, they're never. His mom is dead. His dad's a dead. His dad just just left. Okay. He went to go get cigarettes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I wish. Matthew Lillard had murdered his parents and his brother at the same time. Maybe he did. Uh, But it's such a cleaner through line to be instead of his mom died, his wife died, and this is his daughter. And back in the day, he lost a brother. So much simpler. (laughs) Like if I'm if I'm just Occam's razoring this plot, it's easier that way. No, it's a simple plot. This man wants to go back in time in his dreams to solve his brother's murder. He's obsessed with it. It's totally a thing that happens. It's happened before. It'll happen again. That's the main through fair. Yeah, I've seen Dream Warriors, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, and, so let's get into that because the very next scene, he is talking through a dream theory book with a coworker that we never see again. Just like never once. This guy has a handful of lines. We barely get his name. We don't know how they know each other or how good of friends they are. Nothing. And in this scene, he is a mall security guard and he sees what he perceives to maybe be a kidnapping in progress. It is very clear that this is informed by trauma, but because we don't know about his brother yet, it just looks like he's crazy. It looks like he chases down a dad whose son was crying and he came up to collect him and then beat up that dad. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. You gotta be sure, though. Yeah, I mean, I would have stopped to ask them. I was here for him beating up the dog. No, I mean, I, I would ask if anything was going on before I just threw punches. His brother was kidnapped, Paige. That's make it okay i don't think okay but like in a court of law you can't pull out the my brother was kidnapped card when you're charged with assault of a dad you can't not pull it out (laughs) from just a storytelling point of view you have to make this seem more reasonable to the audience yeah like that this guy is he hallucinating or what is his deal because from the audience point of view we just see a guy kind of like grab his son's arm and like come on let's go because a kid crying in a mall not a weird thing to see. No. A parent right. ushering, getting frustrated with the kid and ushering them out of the mall. Not a weird thing to see. So as from the audience point of view, when our security guard takes off running and starts beating the guy up, it's clear it's shot in the way that we are supposed to think, oh, he's a hero. Like this is his establishing like this is a man who means well. He's trying to do good for the world. This is the save the cat scene, as they say exactly. in the screenwriting classes too. Yeah, exactly. To establish he's a good guy who takes action. And the whole time you're watching, it's like you've not done enough to justify – like you could have made the guy look the the dad look creepier. The, something yeah. about it that that made you that think that um, that would that also would set off a cue in your mind. Like oh yeah, there's something going on there. He's got to go out there and stop it. And instead, it's just it's almost comical, but it's not like in a comedy. It'd be very funny. In an Adam Sandler movie or like right. one of those Paul, Paul Bart movies, it would be hilarious because he's like dunks the guy in a fountain and starts punching him underwater. He's like drowning him and punching him at the same time. Yes. Yeah, it'd be very funny to see Kevin James do it's it. It's a big swing. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin James rolling, it, rolling down on him on a Segway and then like Just ramming <laughs> him into a fountain. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Segway short circuiting in the water. What was that movie when uh, where Seth Rogen is that security guard? Uh, observe and report observe and report i've never yeah. seen it but i remember the trailer it's a it's like a scene right out of that oh is it okay yeah yeah yeah. but i i also think that you could easily solve that problem by introducing his dream earlier like 
if we know that he has a pre-existing issue with kidnapping, right. maybe he's hallucinating, maybe he's losing sleep because he seems tired all the time. Like all of these things that are things that we could have peppered into the scene right before this so that when this happens, we're like, oh no. Oh, this like, triggered something, yeah. Right, as opposed to like, what the hell? Did you just punch that guy? We don't have that context when this scene we happens. We don't have that context. <laughs> I'm sure if you play the games, you do. But So we're just watching our main character slash hero assault a dad. Yes, exactly. What you didn't see was that man also shoplifted $20 worth of items from the other store. <laughs> he tried to rob the Orange Julius. Don't worry about it. <laughs> now, he does kind of introduce his dream theory briefly before this happens. And it is one of the pieces of the plot that I do find the most interesting that we of course briefly explain later uh but then doesn't super come back into play but the idea that you never forget anything so yeah somewhere you have the information you need which is definitely just survivor's guilt is what's going on but yeah, like this is what i feel is the best written scene because i feel like yes. it really captures eating lunch with your coworker, <laughs> and they start talking about some madness that i want nothing to do with like yeah, I'm trying to sleep more to go back in time to witness my brother's kidnapping to solve it. And you're like, it's 11 o'clock, man. It's a Tuesday. <laughs> like, I don't know you. Now I know what Mikey is thinking every time I bring up my brother on the podcast. Just Mikey? No, <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, Jason. Todd's brother died a while back. But I think we've also all had the experience of working at a job and then some other person is either very high or very crazy, one of your coworkers, and they're going on and on. And you have the thought, man, I can see why he got stuck working this stupid job. The guy's yep. too crazy to be. And then you realize, oh, I'm I have working this, this job. job. Yeah. Okay. I also I'm, work here. I'm, at, I'm on the same ladder rung of the ladder as this guy. Interesting. This is a very humbling experience for me. When you're younger, it works because you're like, I won't be here. Yeah. Yeah, I won't be here in 10 years. But then as you get older, you're like, I'm still here. I'm here. What's Man. everyone's craziest coworker, like getting cornered by a coworker story about like, What's the thing that somebody trapped you at lunch about? I had a guy who was an ex-cop who just told me story after story of all the ways he abused his power and how he oh, would like yeah. follow see people he didn't like and just follow them around and write them tickets and invent reasons for them to get tickets and oh. and uh, just and every story he told was like how this person was arguing with him and he was like, "Well, you know, this badge says I'm the one who's right. This this badge has never lost a single argument." That's like, "Okay, you <laughs> You're making like six bucks an hour at this job, just like me. You're clearly not a cop anymore. <laughs> do, do you understand what how? Do you know how hard it is to get fired from being a cop, guys? Like that's a yeah. that's saying something. He was like telling these stories about what what an awesome cop how he was a super cop, and I'm sure that if I had listened to him long enough, it would have arrived at the points like you know eventually they fired me because I was enforcing the law too hard. That's what it was. They yeah, that's they what couldn't it was. handle it. Has anybody ever worked with like someone really into bodybuilding? Oh yes, I know Blaine. So, like every lunch, <laughs> yeah. Talk about their macros and their micros, and I was like, I just want to eat these donuts, man. Can we just like not talk about this? Yeah, I used to love donuts, but I'm cutting down on my macros right now because I'm really trying to like get lean <laughs> oh for the competition. God. And I'm just like, <sighs> I uh, I'm the person who wants the crazy stories. So like when I had a coworker who was in a relationship with a guy at the pizza restaurant next door who did not speak English and she did not speak Spanish, but she just knew in his eyes that they were going to get married and have kids. I want to hear all of it like <laughs> that. Or I had a coworker who uh, was convinced 
that fish were the cure to everything. You mean the band? No. <laughs> e- eating eating fish. They were a pescatarian. Okay. Uh, I, I had a similar coworker with marijuana. It's half the people I've worked with. Yeah, that's you know that's just comedy. Fair. Okay, our best lunch story. I thought of it. Yes. This we were talking about micro penises because as you do, <laughs> of course. Of and course. this woman's like. I brought a guy home once and he had a micro penis and we we're like, well, tell us everything. What happened? You got to tell us the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't not lean in when that's the setup. Right. Right. Yeah. But it turned out that it was just like really mean. I felt bad for everyone involved. Like, cause she's like, you oh. put it in. I didn't feel it. Oh, and then should I we? Told sh- him, oh, you have a micro penis and you need to leave and never come back. And I was like, oh, I was like, this is too real. Too real. So, Jason, I just want to thank you for guesting <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's about horror. That would certainly be horrifying. Anyway, uh, so Matthew Lillard shows up. I just realized that I'm that coworker for podcasting. Yeah, and I love it, Mikey. I love it. I won't talk. To you. <laughs> uh, Matthew Lillard shows up because he runs what I assume is a temp agency that is trying to get Josh Hutcherson a new job after he fucking equalized that kid's dad. Yeah, exactly. One hundred percent of the people watching this who had never were not familiar with the games, were just watching it as a movie. Knew Matthew Lillard was the secret bad guy. Yes, a hundred. And it's such a weird way to introduce him as the career counselor. Like in terms of the story, is. Does being a career counselor make you evil? Like it's such an incredible, incredible coincidence that because you're going to find out later, he's like the main kidnapper that arranged all this. But why is he a career counselor? Because that's how his life intersected with the brother of one of the kids he kidnapped 20 years ago. Right. So watch like you have to invent some other thing for him, some other reason for their lives to intersect. Like Matthew Lillard needs to seek out our protagonist. He needs to come to him. Yeah. Which he could do because he'd already killed his younger brother. Because it's almost like a thing like he took a job as a career counselor so he, he would be in position so that on the inevitable day that Mike got fired, he would have to, of the <laughs> other, like it's a good thing he was working that day. It lacks causality. <laughs> right. Yeah, the amount of 4D chess happening is impressive on Matthew Lillard's part. You're right. So all you need to do is have him lose his job and then somehow like have Matthew Lillard or him approach him somehow and say, Hey, I think I have a job for you. I heard you. I heard you've got experience doing security stuff. I I'm desperate. Like I, my, my security people keep quitting. I've got this abandoned restaurant that I'm, I can't keep people like, yeah, you know, off, I know that you got fired for almost, you know, drown, drown beating a dude to death. <laughs> you know, this is your last stop. I'm desperate. We're both desperate. You know, I, I, I saw what happened. Can you, you know, can you take this job? We pay in cash. And then it, it kind of sets it up so that like, yeah, he is a weirdo. He he stalked this guy's family and that he saw his opportunity to swoop in and get him to to Freddie. Something something other than he happened to be the, the, the career counselor at the exact temp agency. Like, has he been following Mike's career all of this time since childhood? Like, it's so, it, it's such a... <laughs> it is wild. And also, like, he's a child murderer. So, like, when he pick right. a career to have access to children? Yeah. You know, as a career counselor? I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Why is he a career counselor? Not a school counselor. He could have been her, the sister's school counselor. We also know yes. that he wasn't following uh, Josh Hutcherson. That's because right. Because what happens is he pulls up the file and he says... 
Michael and then pauses at the last name, that's when he knows. But also it's Schmidt. I was like, you could not pick a more common last name. I know, right? Do you know how many Michael Schmitz there are walking around? I know too. Like, that's <laughs> crazy. Well, I went to school with one. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure we all did. It's another easily fixable screenwriting thing. Can't imagine that that's in the game. Maybe it is. It's got to be. Maybe it is. Because it's such an it's such an easy fix. It's not like this is something that would not make it past the first draft of a of a script. It's just you and you know, there's something you can do to endear Matthew Lillard's character to the audience so that they will be more shocked when he turns out to be the creep later because as it is, it's like the way he's behaving is so obvious. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and if he was, let's say, a neighbor who is like, hey, I know it's been rough ever since your parents died or whatever, that has like lived next door to them the whole time. And then it's the like that makes more sense. because yeah. It's like then he's known them. Maybe he followed them the whole time. Like maybe he lives next to them because he killed his brother and it's like a whole victim thing. All of the, and that's a cleaner line, a cleaner through line story wise than this weird, like red yarn on a cork board to get us to this point. I, I mean, I honestly think it's because they had five video games worth of lore. Yeah, I think so too. They've been building this lore for like eight or nine years and they tried to stuff all of that lore into one movie. And it just like, I think they overrode it. Are there multiple games? There, There's at least three. I think there's no. actually more than three, though. Yeah, I think there's, like, more than five. Like, yeah. Yeah, I can look it up, but... And, and I, here's the thing. I know that there are people who watch this movie or play these games or whatever who are just not bothered by plot quirks like that. I just super am. <laughs> like... I get it if you can watch a movie and ignore those, but personally, I can't. (laughs) Like, I want Freddy Fosbear and Five Nights. That's all I need in this movie. Yeah. And hey, you got it. There are 14 games. Jesus Christ. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of games, which there's a part of me that's like, sometimes game storytelling is amazing, like Horizon Zero Dawn. But like, I guess if you have 14 games, you can build up a whole ton of lore and a whole bunch of stuff that's like. That's like a common knowledge for everyone seeing the movie so that when we're not, you know, we're coming to it completely new. We're just like, yeah, I don't know who that person is and if that's his daughter or not. But everyone watching is like, aha, the sister. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe that's it. I don't know. If so, then I think that is fascinating because it's I can't think of another movie I've watched where the flaws in the storytelling were based on them having to work around lore from another property. Like I assume if you go watch the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, you don't have to have played all of the Sonic games. You don't need to play even one. It's a great movie. That they start from scratch from funny character, funny universe. Let's put Jim Carrey, let him choose scenery and then boom, there's your movie. And it's a complete movie that you could take your grandma to and she would be amused by it without having played a single game. I can't think of a movie where I've, I've just been totally lost or where there's huge gaps in the storytelling because they were kind of boxed in. It's like, well, it's got to it's got to be the career counselor because that's what it said in the eighth game when he goes and finds the (laughs) file in his office. And it says that's how he got the job like that's in the Lord. It's like, well, yeah, but the guy who wrote the game, his skill is in making games. Right. He he wrote that just to kind of like that's just something to fill in the gaps of the game. It's different from writing a screenplay that 
you know, in theory is going to be watched by, I would love to know what percentage of the people who watched this had religiously played the games and how many people just stumbled across it on Peacock because it's that thing that came up on their screen. And it's a very like promoted thing on Peacock. Like it's yeah. one of the first things you see when you log in, you know? Yeah. Anyway, he, he offers him a job, but he can't work nights. And at first I thought it was because he was watching his sister, but it's because he wants to like, I don't know, play Law and Order Dream SVU. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so that he can put on his cassette tape in Beyonce's America 2023 and stare at a poster of trees. Well, now hold on. Is this 2023 or is this set in a different time? When does this movie That's take place? True. Because I don't when know. they go to the home, you're going to see they're watching a old school CRT tube TV with yeah, they a are. VCR. They are. And that you, is a good catch. You see one cell phone and it is a flip phone. But you see lots of cassette players. Yes. It is not at all clear what year this movie takes place. Do the games specifically? Because it doesn't take place in the 80s, like the heyday of no. the Chuck E. Right. Cheese type restaurant. So it's not that. It has to be distant enough for that to be old. Right. Well, they say 20 years. So if it closed down in 85, it's 2005. Which okay. makes sense okay. based on the technology that we see on All the right. screen. Like you would be phasing out VCRs at that point, but they would still be, especially like for an old closed down place, you know, but yeah. like you might still see a tube TV around that late, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I wish they had just told us that. <laughs> I wish they were just like Chiron 2005. Yeah. It's such a weird time period to set a movie in without it needing, uh, like, I guess they'd have figured, well, that's that's too long for Freddy's to have sat closed for 40 years or whatever. So we have need to set it 20 years ago. It's like, do you? Well, 20 years is just as bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, and you could have easily just made him like, bird sounds on iPhone. <laughs> like there's so, <laughs> yeah. it didn't have to be a tube TV. This didn't have to be a question. But it did because the game. I'm sure. I'm sure it I'm did sure. because yeah. the game. Yeah. Yeah. Which which is the Futurama problem. And so I like I won't die on this hill. Cool. It's a vibe. All right. Yeah. I just wish all you needed to do was type 2005 on the screen and I wouldn't have had questions. I needed a Chiron for the date and for the relationship between the two main characters. <laughs> 2005, <laughs> daughter. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, 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 wait, sister, sister Paige. Oh, wow. Sister. Sister. We've made it like four minutes into the movie, by the way. I know, I know. I'm so sorry. In terms of recounting the plot. I'm so sorry. I, yeah. I, no, no, it's all good. Uh, I, I'll, I'll blow through. He, he eventually does take the job because uh, the aunt comes in and threatens to take custody this is where we find out she's the sister yeah <laughs> which again like i know we're like air, air quotes four minutes into the movie we're 20 minutes into the movie yeah because this movie is paced crazy um so it's been 20 minutes of him being like single dad with a daughter wait brother <laughs> like what i was like is the babysitter the romantic interest is the teacher the romantic interest is the cop the romantic interest I was is like, there is there a romantic interest at all i feel like i feel like ultimately not. at the end it's the cop it's maybe the cop but like sure you cannot get with the girl whose dad murdered your right? brother who and she helped him cover it up. She's an accessory. Hang yes. on, I didn't even think about that. That is a wild romantic take. Okay, she knew where the five bodies of children were the whole time, and she's a cop. 
Yeah. They're walking around in the robots, Mikey. That's where you'll find I know. the bodies. She, she, only she knows that. I'm just saying. We're, we're jumping ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm so yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's all good. Uh, so he, he ultimately does take the job because he needs to make sure on paper he's employed if he has any hopes of keeping custody of his sister. Uh, so he calls Matthew Lillard and is like, what do I need to know? And we get like a montage of him getting to... Uh, Freddie Fazbear's for the first time. And he's like, well, there's a full security system. The electricity's iffy. There's a breaker in the office. Just keep your eyes on the monitors and keep people out. Piece of cake. If you do your job, nothing bad will happen to you. So he goes, checks in, checks the monitors, and he views their like in what I assume is an in-game security video that kind of gives you the backstory of what happens. Because like, the idea that you would leave it there for the security guard is insane. But it's she's like, here's your security video training. It's got his name on the tape. It's got his name on it, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, what is this? Like, this is crazy. It to, it to me is hilarious that the tape is supposed to be so worn that part of the footage is messed up. And also, the ink is barely dried on them writing Mike on the tape. Like, are they just, like, removing the sticky thing and putting a new one on for each security guard? Like, what are we doing? And there's Well, here, I think that is what's happening. I do love the tape, though. It's very it's classic fun. 80s training video, which yeah. is very fun. There's Everything is so wildly overexplained because in re, because he goes in, it's like, well, the place cools down in the 80s. Now there's security cameras that cover every area, but the electricity is kind of weird. And it's all stuff that like that's for playing the game. That's right. the setup of the game. People yes. have not played the game. You've got a bank of monitors, but you have to you can only watch one at a time. And then they're trying to sneak up on you all that in real life. This is a tiny little restaurant. It's like be like, yeah, there's cameras, <laughs> but it's it's you're just trying to make sure crackheads don't break in and smoke crack there. Like that's like you don't yes. need the, the security cameras. Just want to make there's two doors. Make sure no crackhead breaks in either of the doors. Yeah. And you could probably stand in the middle of the restaurant and see both of those doors. Yeah. Like it's it, not it's, huge. It's just, yeah. Like there's nothing to steal. You're just making sure crackheads don't break in and smoke crack there. So yeah, just to sit there and just jerk off, do whatever you want to do. We don't care. Just there's two doors. Yeah. Just and then don't that's it. sleep. Just don't don't burn the place down. And that's it. Dude, yeah. That's congratulations. This says like all this intricate stuff where it's like he's protecting Fort Knox. It's like, well, oh, you know, <laughs> the breakers, the main breaker is here. And then the switcher for the security cameras are here. And you got it. It's like, no, it's in real life. It's like, no, it's we're trying to keep the vagrants out because the insurance. That's it. Yep. If, yeah. somebody, if somebody breaks in, call the cops because you don't have any arrest powers. Right? Yeah. Don't beat them up. Just if something happens. Just call the cops. And that's it. You, you're just we literally anybody could do this job. A child could do it. That's it. Go. Well, and that's what makes the next part so weird is because, like, here's the thing. I have worked at places that have security guards and they fall asleep all the damn time. Like, it is such a norm that people used to walk by our store and send pictures of the security guard asleep that they took through the window. It was a hilarious <laughs> game that we had. However, he goes there planning to sleep. Yes. Which is bonkers. Yeah. Sleeping pills. <laughs> Sleeping pills. And a, and a white noise. A white noise machine thing, a tape to and the poster. Yeah, he's like, I sleep at work now. <laughs> like, I mean, we just... can clearly see why he's lost every job he's ever had. He's like, maybe this new job location is where I'll have the best channel to control my dreams and find out what happened to my brother Garrett. Yeah, is his brother's name Garrett? His brother's yes. name is well was R.I.P. Garrett is if he's the cupcake. 
I have no idea. Paige, you just blew my mind. I want the cupcake to be Garrett so bad. I have no clue which one of the, the animatronics is Garrett, if any. Um, but this is the first time we see his dream. Now, we are 30 minutes into the film, right. give or take. And there has been all this talk about his dreams and things that have happened to him. This is the first time we're getting the information about his brother that would have been crucial information for most of the first act of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. Like, we kind of briefly saw a little bit of his, like, birds, trees, whatever. This is the first time that we're like, okay, the brother got taken. This is what happened. We cut to him coming home that morning and Max, the babysitter, leaves. We cut to the babysitter going to a diner with the aunt. Yes. And we do not know that they know each other. I do have to say this. I love the aggressive first swing of showing up for your first midnight shift as a, sec as a security guard and having to set your watch to wake up to clock out and go home. I was like, yes, I love how minimalist this dude cares about his job. Like he could not care less about it. And I'm here for it. But yeah, I have no idea how the aunt knows his roommate slash babysitter slash whoever she is. And her brother. He's taking yeah. a stand against capitalism. Exactly. Because he's saying, <laughs> exactly. I, if I'm going to sleep and, quitting. and do a sleep investigation through my dreamscape of my of my brother's disappearance, I'm doing it on company time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> my, my own time is my own. But these people are going to pay me to do this. Uh, you know, because you're asking me to sit here and protect the property of the capital, the people who control the means of production. Yeah. Like, no, I'm 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 sleeping. And he sleeps through the whole ship. Be clear. He, he gets a solid eight hours of sleep. Yes. <laughs> this is five nights at Freddy's. The first night at Freddy's is a very peaceful night of sleeping <laughs> for eight straight hours. His head leaned down on a desk. It is like he sleeps better in in that chair than I've slept in any bed I've ever owned. <laughs> yeah. But here we also get to the plot. Th this When I think about a, a writer being given this plot and this plot structure, it kind of gives me a panic attack because you have these two parallel plots, his own missing brother, long, long lost brother, and then trying to use his dreams to explore what happened because he's convinced that he, in his childhood, he saw the kidnapper yeah. and that that memory is in his brain somewhere. That's a, a great plot for a movie. In this movie, it is totally 100% unrelated to Freddy's, his security guard job, yeah. anything. And it will remain unrelated for like the next hour and 20 minutes. Now I... you, the audience, have you've seen movies before. So it's like, okay, it's going to turn out that Freddy, the robot bear, stole the child or something. Like, you know, th mm -hmm. this, this movie acts like these are two totally unrelated things. And that the only connection to Freddy's and his brother's disappearance is that Freddy's is where he sleeps. Yes. <laughs> right. To, to remember his brother's disappearance. And he feels closer to him there, but there's no explanation as to why. <laughs> and if you, Paige or any of you have been handed the script, it's like, hey, we need you to punch up the script. Within 30 seconds of flipping through it, you'd be like, what? So, okay, I'm telling you right now, his brother went missing at Freddy's. Yeah. Like, okay. Yes. Like, we all agreed that in the next draft, his brother went missing at Freddy's. <laughs> he was in the group of kids that died. Yes. Yeah. And that he took the job at Freddy's because he's still, to this day, 20 years later, convinced. And that now that the restaurant is closed, wants to solve the case. Yes. Because the restaurant's closed, he hasn't had access to it. But it's, but it's like now he's had this opportunity to work there. 
So instead of sleeping on the shift, he gets the job and it's like he lies his way into the job as security guard. And as soon as the boss leaves, like, okay, you got the keys? He's investigating. Yeah. He's, yes. he's searching around the files, mm -hmm. the old crumbly files. He goes down the basement. He finds the old videotapes from the 80s. He's digging around. Yeah. And then every night he uncovers more of the mystery. He's playing an active role yeah. yes. that he intentionally did. He did not stumble across the restaurant that has a tie to his brothers by blind coincidence because his career counselor <laughs> happens to be the guy who murdered his brother, Jason. At the temp agency he happened to work at. It's crazy. Easily fixable. Very easy to fix. It yeah. took 20 minutes to rewrite that to fix it. A hundred. When he's sleeping through when he should be investigating, I'm like, what? is this why is this and it's definitely so that we can bring in the children of the corn yes and and they are the ones kind <laughs> yeah. of feeding him information and so there's like are they though they don't they never really help him uh, I, th I feel like you can never trust the spirits yeah yeah you can't trust them no but this is and and they turn into black-eyed kids and in, in some of these nightmares but this is definitely the device to be like something supernatural is going on. Yes. Which is fine. But I feel like you could still get that without him purposefully sleeping through his job at a place that is conveniently related to the crime that he's trying to dream solve. By blind coincidence. Again, he wound up yes. there purely by blind a million to one chance. So it is at this weird scene at the diner with the evil aunt and the uh, and the babysitter where the waiter comes up and they have this really weird stilted exchange Yes, where he says, well, you should eat lunch. Lunch is the most important meal of the day. And somebody else says, well, actually, I think breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And the waiter says, well, <laughs> that's just a theory. Okay, that's your other YouTuber cameo yeah. because it's just a theory is his catchphrase. Oh, and they okay. incredibly oh. awkward yes. way they work that in. Oh, yeah. And trying to think of some way to use the Like, even though that's not how that conversation go, but that is a famous... Uh, YouTuber, and I'm sure that he is very good, and I'm glad that he got a cameo in this movie. I, I and it, it seemed to have made a lot of people happy. I can't think of a more fitting movie for a YouTube personality to have a cameo in. It does make sense it because does. of the streaming history of exactly, the game. Yeah. I, like I won't fault them that. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And they know what they were doing, man. Yeah. This movie almost made three hundred million dollars. Absolutely. So. During this diner, we basically find out that the aunt has hired the babysitter to try and find incriminating information to try and take custody. And they didn't find anything. And I was like, you didn't find the fact that the dude sleeps through every job he ever has? Cool. Addicted to sleeping pills? He literally can't hold down a job, like, at all. Yeah. Yeah. He's just absent. Um, but they decide that since his new job is just for him to, like, keep people out, that they're going to show up and trash the place. Yeah. Well, first they said murder him, which I thought would be more of what the plot was going to be. Right. Same. Yeah. But no, I do love that they make the aunt like a comic book villain. She like won't let them order food at this diner. And then at the end of the scene, she steals, I think, all of the sugars and puts them in her purse. Yes. And then they leave. Like she She's is awesome. like that's Cruella DeVille type shit. Like, that is so next level, just evil for evil's sake. I was here for it. I. It's funny that they play her as evil. When she just has the best interest of that child at heart, yes. page. I was like, she's yes. not wrong. Yeah. Uh, dark, but uh, anyway.
anyway, so later that night, he is at work because, again, this movie only like he's only not at work for for 45 minutes at a time within the day, it seems like. Yeah, we're now at night two at Freddy's. We're 30 some minutes in and no horror stuff has happened outside of that opening scene. Uh, yeah, the the cold open was the only horror so far. Yeah, we, we another half hour of just a bunch of stuff has happened, including this guy sleeping seven or eight times. Anyway, yeah, night two of Freddy's night two. He has already gone to sleep. It's literally the beginning of his shift. Who should show up? A police officer. Now, he does seem to sustain a wound in his dream and then keep it when he's awake. Yes. It, implying that they were trying to hurt him while he was there and he woke up. Yeah, Freddy rules. I think they were trying to put him in that chair. Yeah. And that's where he got cut by the fox's, like, hook hand or whatever hook it was. Hand. Yeah. yeah. But he, he goes to talk to the cop and she's just like, yeah, this is on my rounds, but I used to come here all the time as a kid. Let's turn on the animatronics. And I was just like, she's clearly a ghost or in on it. Right? <laughs> She's in on Every it. screenwriting convention says. Which I just thought about this. How many security guards has this woman killed? Oh, oh probably a lot. Easily a dozen. Yeah. yeah. In the context of the movie where you, the audience, are not supposed to know that she's in on it, it's just really weird and unnatural because she just starts talking to him like they're best friends or she's hanging yeah. out like she has nowhere else to be. It's like, aren't there any other abandoned businesses you could be hanging around <laughs> in the city? Like, what do you care about this? Like, oh, yeah, this is Freddy's. And, you know, they go through a lot of security guards here. It's just very, it's like, you know, I'm just here to keep meth heads from falling asleep in the dumpster. Like, what are you talking about? But she, because she's talking about it like, well, we all know the the Freddy Fosbear lore. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not in this universe. It's just, it's just an old crappy restaurant that closed. Yeah. But it exactly. does, the whole movie is written from the perspective of, we all know the lore, right? Right. Well, for example, there's like 25 minutes and we see the animatronics for the first time. He like pulls back the curtain yes. and they're all just there dormant. And there's like a musical sting, like it's the most horrifying thing you've ever seen. But of course, <laughs> if you're just seeing them as animatronics, it's just there's a bunch of yeah. It's, it's just a Chuck E. Cheese band. <laughs> like you don't know you're in a horror movie. Yeah, they're not horrifying unless you've played the game. And obviously, if you've played the game, it's like oh my gosh, that's Foxy and Chica or whatever they, they're called. Um, but if you're just watching this movie for the first time, it's like played as a jump scare. It's like, well, they're just these whimsical robots with, he's got a guitar. It's like, my favorite part <laughs> is, is when like the band leader of them, and I don't know any of their names, so forgive me. But like whenever he's about to kill someone, he's like scatting down the hallway yes. towards them. I was like, what is happening? I was just going to bring this up, Todd. It's, it's like an an audio stinger that yeah. I'm sure is in the game, but because I haven't played it, it's just dum da dum dum And I'm like, am I supposed to be scared of this sound? <laughs> like, I don't know. I know. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so we do get to see the band play Talking in Your Sleep, which, by the way, I had to immediately go download onto yeah. my phone because I'm like, Love it. this song just slaps. It is a great song. Yeah. <laughs> great pick. Good job. But this is where she's like, hey, uh, you know, a ton of kids died here, right? <laughs> like a whole basketball team. Worth. A whole yeah. basketball team. Uh, I am the exposition dump at minute 45 of this movie. <laughs> I'm just a cop who likes to go to scenes of murders and hang out. You know, like I'm just the attractive 25 year old cop who's like, yeah, just wanting to really meet the new security guard at this place. Just broing down at the old Chuck E. Cheese. At one point suggests they turn on the animatronics and dance. Yes. Yeah. She says, do you want to dance? And then she's like, maybe next time. Like, why would you come back? Well, like, why is there going to be a next time? In the morning, like, she was there the whole time. It, it's like, do you, 
Are there no crimes? She's there the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Are there no crimes happening? It's. <laughs> are you also rebelling against the system? I thought we were going to find out she wasn't a cop. Same, Todd. And they just owned that cop car and she had like a costume suit, you know? Yes. I think we need to talk about the real problem of this scene. Uh-oh. Do you think... Frostbear cock blocked him on purpose or was like I think they were programmed to do it I don't know if he did but I do think she's a furry if that's what you're getting at that checks out yeah <laughs> no I mean like I think they were gonna dance and he's like oh shut it all down we can't have these people doing this yeah but we cut to the next morning where he clearly locks the place up goes home and as soon as he gets home the babysitter and her brother and a group of other people that we will never see or hear from again, but they're just here to pad the kill count. They are, yeah. They show up and they say, as a fun little bookend, it's showtime, the same thing that we said when we turned on the animatronics initially, and they try to wreck the place, but they immediately just individually each get their shit wrecked by one of the robots. And this mm -hmm. is where we meet the cupcake. Is it a robot? I think the cupcake a is robot, a robot. Yes. Yeah. It has to be, right? I like how they use it, though, because they, like, send it through, like, the air vents, and it actually is, like, small enough that it could sort of get through them. Right. And it tries to, like, attack the, the one of the main dudes, uh, her brother, actually, the babysitter's brother, yeah. through that air vent. I thought that was a cool little device. I liked it. Yeah. I'm sure it's extremely cool in the video game. Yeah. It's just that here... So again, for people confused who've not seen the movie, their plan is to destroy the restaurant while Mike is off, while he's not there. And the <laughs> idea is that he will get fired because he didn't prevent the restaurant from getting ransacked while he wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. he wasn't there. And that this will cause him to lose custody of his child. That's the plan that is going to set off the entire second act of the movie is this roundabout convoluted scheme instead of like, we're going to kidnap the girl or do something more direct. Right. And again, I know that there's a screenwriter. And again, there were five different screenwriters holding their hair out, looking at this saying, we have got to see the animatronics in action, guys. We got to see them <laughs> kill people. We're on page 47 of the script. Yes. And they've not done anything. Like, please, I'm begging you. I've been looking at this for 16 straight hours. They told me they need the draft tomorrow. He should have gotten the job on page three of the script. He yeah. doesn't get it yes. until page 20. Please. And so like, well, okay, let's get some people who we, we're not going to miss and that it's okay if they die because it's later going to turn out that the robots are kind of a twist coming. They're kind of not the bad guys. So we have to kind of not worry about these people getting killed. So it's this group of people who are conspiring with the, the aunt to help her for in exchange for what are they just being paid to do it? She paid them to $2,000. Yeah, that's it. 2000 bucks to vandalize this place. And then because they took that job, they all get just ripped apart by these robots. But it's it's weird because this is another case where up to now the movie has been basically G-rated. Yeah. Right. You did not see the guy get killed in the opening. The camera just cuts away. You hear like a scream or something. Up till now, you have not seen one drop of blood. You have seen nothing. So then you see a woman get torn in half. The babysitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Literally gets torn out. Yes. Then, other times it's just it's always cut away cut away cut away cut away from the impact there's no gore you'll see like a hand mm -hmm. like slap blood against the glass that will still get you a pg i think in almost any film 
there are like goosebumps episodes that have that level of of gore in them, I am sure. Yeah. And then you just see her entire body get cut in half. It was yeah. odd. It's a lot. Especially when they 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 humanized her the most, I think, out yeah. of all of those nameless villains to have her have the goriest ending. Yeah. And also they're all six of them are doing it for a thousand dollars total. So it's like hundred and fifty bucks right. to like risk this crime. Yeah. That's honestly not worth it. Yeah. So the cop shows up and is just like, You don't want me to tell them about your sleeping pills, wink wink. Don't sleep there. In secret, you'll get killed. But also, like, it's your job. You probably shouldn't sleep at work. You'll get fired. Yeah. But he doesn't care. Okay, to, to clarify, the cop, Vanessa, shows up at his house, yeah. at Mike's house, to tell him that the restaurant uh, the, where he's working as a nice security guard got broken in during the day. Yeah. And was, like, confronting him about this, where, again, in real life, it'd be like, this is I wasn't there. This is not this happened after I left. Yeah, this is not my problem. I don't care about that place at all. They exactly. Could, yeah. They could burn the entire place to the ground and I would not lose a moment's sleep other than that's where I sleep. I like this <laughs> this means nothing to me. Because <laughs> she's like bring it to him like this is momentous news. And it's like, well, and she actually tells him, Well, you know, you could be criminally charged yeah, criminal with negligence. criminal negligence because you didn't properly lock up. It's like, I can't. I'm going to be paid like $4 an hour in 2003 money. It's, it's like, no, I, you're lucky I show up at all. <laughs> like, like you're like, the fact that he all, like he doesn't respond with, oh, so I don't have to work tonight and that's it. Yeah, well, like, I, I don't understand why he would care about this place at all. Yeah, I, Congratulations, I quit. I no longer have a connection to that place. I don't care. Yeah. I, I don't even know yeah. what you told me. It's <laughs> do, do do they want me to show up tonight? I'll just come by and sleep in the parking lot. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Am I still? Is my shift canceled for tonight? Do they still need need me? Or is, there, is everything that I was protecting been destroyed? Just like then instead, it's like they have this heart to heart and they go on a walk together and and they talk about like, well, why are you like this? Like she finds the sleeping pills and. And it's like this big turning point in his life when in real life, you just if you came to work that next night, you would notice some stuff was broken. You're like, yeah, somebody must have broken during the day. Whatever. That's they, they should have hired three people instead of just yeah. one to do it overnight. Yeah. yeah, it's insane to me. Oh, wait, now that I'm thinking about it, she can't be a cop. She cannot be a cop because if she was an actual cop and they reported those deaths at that store, that would be a crime scene. But he goes back to it that night. Yeah. There's no way she's actually a cop. Well, does she tell him people were murdered? No, I don't think they know she that. She didn't, but it would be a crime scene if she was actually a cop and reported that. Yeah, no cops lied on a report before. About five murders? People are going to ask questions, Mike. Well, no, she clearly didn't report the breaking because if she had, they would have found the bodies. Yeah. So, like, she didn't report it at all. Uh, right, but still you have, like, five missing people that just never comes up. Nobody in the city notices any of these people gone. Not Max, <laughs> not the aunt, not any of these people. Their deaths are treated like an annoyance to our main character when he can't find child care yes like that is how little they mean to the people in the this town they were visually poor people so i guess no one loved them that's what <laughs> the movie said i didn't say that but that is the next scene of like he can't get a hold of the babysitter so now he has to take abby to work yes with him so he sets up like a little tent with her um but she eventually while he is sound asleep at his job she gets up and plays with all the robots and they seem to like her they, they don't try to hurt her they they are playing nice with her she draws them pictures which we've kind of established is her way of like getting her emotions and things out yes okay 
I would like to start a discussion controversial. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. They start her pretty neurodivergent yes. in this film. And it seems to be by the end, the robots have cured her of whatever anxiety and or disorder she was having. Um, I mean, I agree with the teacher that maybe she was not neurodivergent. She was just a child who had experienced trauma. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think so, too. I think she was very sad because her mom died and her dad left. Uh, and so she was acting out in weird ways. Yeah. I still think some people listening to this are kind of dumbfounded that he took her because Abby, <laughs> the, the little the little, little sister, was she probably 10? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's like he took her to Freddy's. And keep in mind... In the fiction of the movie, it's like, well, but they don't know that Freddy's is haunted by evil robots yet. It's like, no, no, no. This is an abandoned building that's been abandoned for 20 years. Right. They just had a break-in that day, and he knows because the cop came and told him. Literally murders in the building. Yeah. He doesn't know about the murders. That's true. True. That he knows it's an abandoned building that just had a break-in. He shows up. There's broken glass everywhere. Yeah. This is where he took the small child. <laughs> like, it's a dangerous building, even if you don't, if there's not haunted animatronics around. And then he finds a blood stain. Yes. yes. And cleans it up. Yes. Because ah, part ah, of his ah. security guard job is to clean, is to clean. So he's like, okay, I got to sweep up this, all the glass. It's like, are you sure that's not evidence? They're not still coming back to crime scene. You sure the crime scene texts have been through the place? Because it kind of looks like it's been untouched uh, in there. And you're going to find out that later there's corpses like in a storeroom 10 feet away yeah. that he, I guess, can't smell yet. It's only been like 12 <laughs> hours. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. the logic's there. They're not going to break in the next night. <laughs> they already did it once. They got what they needed. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's night three at Freddy's. It has been broken into during the day. And he goes right to sleep. He yeah. puts <laughs> them both to bed, Jason, in this recently broken into burgled even restaurant. Yes. He should not have custody of his sister, that's all I'm saying. Guys, the ant smokes, though, okay? <laughs> well, here's here's the other thing. Like, just from a screenwriting perspective, we establish that they're behind on the rent and could be up for eviction. How much easier would it have been for them to just get evicted and then they have to stay at Freddy's? Oh, they're homeless, yes. Yeah. Or they're sleeping in his oh, car. Yeah, uh, sleeping in his car or something. Like, so easy to just through line plot wise to get them where they need to be. But guys, that's not the game. Yeah, I know. Like I that, know. I know. That is we uh, we aggressively are fixing a movie that is just not great because it's just the game. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure the game has you playing through all these different elements and, you know. Yes. I'm sure the game is fun because of those things. Right. But it's a different medium. Yeah. Anyway. She's drawing pictures for robots. Uh, and the next day he looks at her pictures and he's like, how did you draw our dead brother that you were too young to know? And she's like, oh, the ghost told me about it. And instead of being like, holy shit, let's rush her to a specialist. He's like, can you ask the ghosts more information? <laughs> or do pictures of the brother exist? I would assume. Have I told you about the brother yes. and what happened yeah. or talked in my sleep or any other number of a bunch of explanations that are not ghosts? That's what I thought it was going to be. Honestly, Paige. Okay. We, we skipped over a couple of, there's a, a lot of insane things happening that we, I don't think we can touch on all of them because basically in every scene, something inexplicable occurs because yes. <laughs> here in this movie, if people don't, and I hope it's not, 
boring getting into the technicalities of screenwriting because it's something that I find interesting and it's yeah. interesting to watch movies and see how different movies deal with this. So in a movie I, on page 60 of a script is typically a really big turning point scene. Generally, you can take any movie on a streaming service, fast forward to the exact 60 minute mark and something will be exploding. If it's a romantic comedy, this is where they will have their breakup, their false breakup before they get back together. Yeah. There'll be a car accident. It's just always been a screen structure, screenwriting structure thing where at 60 minutes in, a, a character will die. It will raise the stakes and it will kind of be a turning point in the movie. The 60 minute scene in this movie is on night three, he falls asleep. He has the dream. In the dream, one of the ghost children in the dream says that they want Abby in exchange for information about the sister or something like that. Yeah, He says, I'll tell you if you give me anything I want. Yeah. 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 And then he hears Abby screaming and gets up and you have this moment. It's like, oh, she's being attacked by the robots. Here we are 60 minutes into the movie. The right. thing the movie is about is happening finally. And it turns out that the characters, that the robot animatronics, which are not bolted to the stage like at Chuck mm -hmm. E. Cheese, they can right. walk around. They've established that. They are tickling her. Yeah. And she's screaming because the, all these robot animatronic robots are tickling her. And it's like, oh, what a relief that that's all it was when that's the <laughs> weirdest possible thing yes. that could ever happen <laughs> yes. in your life. Th this place has been dormant for 20 years. It's like, oh, the animatronics turned on and they were they were tickling me. It's like, are they perverts? Yeah. I would immediately think I was having a, a hallucination. I was losing my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like weird because he even says something like, it's time for us to go or something like that. It's like that should be said in a totally different tone. Like we're never coming back here. Yeah. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what this, somebody programmed those robots to fondle my <laughs> little sister, but I don't want it known that I brought her here. <laughs> like even this is too weird for me to be responsible for, even if nothing else happens, like, all right, this is over. I will find a different job. <laughs> I, you know, I was unemployed when I found this job. Surely I can find some equally bad job where yes. I can sleep at like a, a mattress store or something. I would run away from that scene, lighting matches and throwing them on the ground. Yeah. I think that the robots, she should have been like, they told me in the dream that they want you to leave pictures of your feet by the animatronics in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we smoothly transition from that. So the end of night three happens. Right. And again, we're now an hour plus in the movie and almost nothing has occurred. Yeah. Except for some people who we don't care about have died, but we were not invested in those people no. living right. anyway. We barely knew any of their names. Yeah. They, so and then he has this conversation and he says the phrase, and this is, again, a screenwriting thing where he says to sister, you know, we used to have a brother, right? <laughs> word for word, that's what he says. That is a very weird thing for a brother to say to his sister. Like, that has never come up. Yeah, never in your entire family history. There's no photos of the brother. There's no scrapbook. There's no social media. There, there's, <laughs> there's no record to say that as a casual conversation. Like, well, you know, we used to have a brother, right? And he... And he was the victim of a crime that totally ruined the lives of our parents and yeah, drove Todd. them crazy. And and that's why we, that's why you're living here. Like you understand the entire background of your entire life as it exists. You you know what that is, right? 
And the thing <laughs> where she says, well, and, and she knows about him being kidnapped and she has drawn like a picture of it because the robots told her that they seamlessly start blending in the idea that the ghost children in his dream are the robots at the restaurant. Yes, they are. Right. Yeah. right. Even though he had been having that dream previously prior to taking this job. Right. And he did not seek out this job because of the dreams he was having. He got this job totally at random because he randomly got fired at his other job and his career counselor at the temp agency who happened to be working that day was the guy who kidnapped his brother by blind chance. And when she tells him that she had this hallucination or hallucination or dream or vision, whatever it was to, as you said, he says, if you talk to them again, can you, can you find out who (laughs) 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 It is one of the most amazing things I've heard a character say to another character in my entire life of watching films. That is of all the things I was expecting him to say of, we need to talk to somebody or, you know, I, I I don't know what's happening here, but we need to find out or something tasks her with advancing the investigation, using her child psychic link to these ghost children from his dream who are apparently connected to the, the robots at the restaurant, which again, people who played the game know that the robots are possessed with dead children. They know that coming in. So they're impatiently waiting for this to this come out. To me, the leaps this poor guy has had to make oh, yes. is mind-boggling. And that we are expected to also take as the yeah, viewers yeah, yeah. of this movie. Like, every time something happened, I was like, oh, Guys, my God. <laughs> the ant smokes, though. And that's why he's <laughs> the better guardian. <laughs> and she steals sugars and talks bad to YouTube cameo havers. Here's the thing. Two things. Uh, first, that you are absolutely right. That scene is the craziest line reading scene in this movie until literally two seconds later when <laughs> he goes back to work with Abby and the cop is there and he just turns to the cop and is like, so it's ghost children possessing robots, right? And she's like, yeah, how'd you figure it out? And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, how did you figure that out? That would have been information I would love to have been well, shown. Here's something. I have a question for the group as the dumbest one of us. Great. Uh, but the ghosts don't know who killed his brother. They've been ghost lit that the killer is their friend, right? I have no idea. That Matthew Lillard? Because the bunny, Matthew Lillard, they think is his friend until... I mean, he's like their dad. He's like yeah. the robot ghost. Uh, uh, he's their creator? I don't know. It's so weird. So they don't know that he killed them. Because if they could see he did it, they'd know he's bad, right? I guess. Uh, here. Here's the thing. and The more you think about this movie, the worse... Things go in my brain. Yeah, Mikey, I don't think we could dig into it too much because they they do turn on him at the end because they download that he's evil through like hand drawn pictures. That he's the one who killed them. Yeah, she couldn't <laughs> tell them that. She had to draw it out first. She had to there. draw it out. Yes, like a PowerPoint. But not not to get too screenwritery about it again. But finding out that his sister could potentially ask dead people about his brother should be in like the end of act one, beginning of act two, because then when he gets that information, it should change his perspective on his goals because it should be something that he like now doesn't want. Right. So the fact that it's happening over an hour into this movie 
first of all, is why this movie seems so lopsided. But then for them to skip everything else and just be like, yeah, it turns out she can talk to ghosts. Yeah, because it turns out these ghosts are all robots. Why didn't you tell me the ghosts were robot children possessing robots? I don't know. It didn't seem important at the time. Like... (laughs) crazy it is so casual because again it he shows up to night four at freddy's and vanessa the cop is waiting there for him because she just has nothing else better to do with her her time and apparently has keys well her dad owns the joint yeah Yeah. which but again we don't know that yet right right but the guy but mike our our protagonist doesn't understand why this is weird because again any guy in real life in the situation like this woman wants to bang me more than any woman ever has. Like, good God. Oh, she's, yes. oh she's yeah. She's camped out here waiting for me, even though I've basically got a daughter effectively, and she's cool with that. Wow. That's that's amazing. I must be actually way hotter than I thought I was. <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> this woman, like it's like he's become her obsession. She's waiting there at the restaurant for him, and then he has brought, his, he has brought Abby along with him. One, he had an entire day to find another babysitter because, again, the <laughs> only motivation yeah. for bringing her originally was that he didn't have childcare and that there's no other babysitters in the city other than that corrupt one that, that he had. Well, and he gets the aunt the next day. So clearly it wasn't that hard. Right. And, and two, there's been a break out of the place. Three, the robots were fondling her the last time he was there. And, and so now he's coming back in light of all of that. And it's just unspoken that he's got her with him. There's not even an argument scene where she, he like tries to, you know, push her off on grandma or something. She's like, no, we have to see, we have to investigate. I have to go back there and talk to the robots. Yeah. And like, he okay, really okay, okay. liked his brother better. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's very clear. Like he is offering Abby up to them on a silver platter way before they ask him to make the choice. And he then clearly says, yeah, that's cool. You can fucking have Abby. I've been bringing her this whole time. Yeah. Oh, God. We're going to get to yeah. that. Because anyway, he goes there and they have, they discuss the fact that he's like, so the child, the children in my dream are possessing robots. And they exchange this information like they're discussing the weather. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's exact, the exact same tone you would use to be like, oh, man, it's supposed to be cold tonight. That's, you know, the, the windows are all broken. It's going to be cold in here. It's the exact same tone. Now, here's the thing. Writing horror is difficult for one one main reason is that lots of horror movies, and I'd say even most of them, have a lot of twists. Yeah. Having a plot that is unveiled through a series of twists where, oh, we thought this was the killer, but it's actually this was the killer, and that actually the killer, the real killer, is doing it because they are my long-lost mother. Like, that stuff has to be doled out to the audience, and that's just a format. Like, the things that... Yeah. So when you're writing it, it's kind of a pain in the ass because you are starting out with all of this stuff and it's like, okay, I'm here's where I'm going to unveil each of the, the things. And then the key is that when you unveil these, it's not hopefully just through two characters casually mentioning them to one another. There needs to be a tense scene, the scene where the guy is in an office and, and he snuck in there. He could be caught at any moment. He's frantically yeah. looking for the file. And he finally finds the file. But wait, there's somebody outside the door and he has to crawl under the desk. And the, now the security guard's shining the flashlight around. Then he looks and he pulls out the photo and sees, oh my gosh, that's me in the photo. I was the one who they, whatever, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the clone. Yeah. And it's, it's a very dramatic, you, like you build drama into the revelation and that's what keeps it going because, you know, the viewers want to find out the next thing. When you are writing a story where your intended audience already knows the twists. 
So it's this very perfunctory thing of, okay, look, we, we all know that the ghost children are possessing the robots, you know. Right. To watch it as an outsider is bizarre. It is. <laughs> it's truly a bizarre experience, yes. This is Mikey from Horror Virgin. I practiced this ad for Factor in my car today. <laughs> Can you show us what you practiced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mikey from Horror Virgin here. <laughs> Talk about Factor. <laughs> Nailed it. I have used Factor on and off the last couple of years, uh, especially since 2020. My work is very busy. I have a very busy day job. He does. I have a very busy hobby uh -huh. slash second job called podcasting. <laughs> yeah, it's so much work for you. <laughs> Eating healthy is hard. Cooking, I'm single. <laughs> Cooking single is hard. And I've loved Factor. Other people, they ship you ingredients. You have to cook them. It takes a long time. Factor. They ship you fresh, never frozen meals. And it always only takes two minutes, which is like my favorite thing. I never have to think about how long it has to go in the microwave. It's two minutes. That's what my dating profile says. Always two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's helped me eat healthier, though. They have a bunch of like dietary options, like low calorie or protein or keto. Is it keto? Keto? Ket ket <laughs> Mikey, you said it wrong so many times. I'm not sure if I remember how to say it right. It's keto, right? Keto. No, it's keto. It's keto. But anyway, Factor's amazing. So just head to factormeals.com slash horrorvirgin50 and use code horrorvirgin50 to get how much percentage off, Mikey? Were you paying attention? 50. Damn. 50% off. Literally half off. That's code horrorvirgin50 at factormeals.com slash horrorvirgin50 to get 50% off. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I honestly think the best way to watch this movie is no context. Because I think if you had all the context, it would feel very like, oh, come on, let's get to the action. Because you already know. I... But because there's no context for us... It's just like this crazy movie. It is a carnival of madness. Yes. It is a labyrinth of insanity watching this without the context. <laughs> Every Everything about the way people behave is just, it is like a David Lynch situation. It is so weird. <laughs> I love it. Very Lynchian. But they, instead of being like, hey... You're, you shouldn't bring your sister here to this abandoned building with killer robots, especially because she knows that the robots are evil. She just stays and they all hang out and build a fort and chill out yeah. in the fort with the robots and hang out. They have a nice, like, family-friendly time at this yeah. uh, defunct it's restaurant. A, yeah. It's a montage. They do a musical montage of them building the a fort with the robots, the robots, the sentient robots that they, again, have now decided are possessed by ghosts they are ghost robots ghost and children. they yeah. are automatically friends with the ghost robots and they have this musical thing where they goof around and and kind of build a fort and they joke joke with each other and they build a fort and uh no one involved questions why 
logic is dead and, and madness <laughs> reigns in this world. Yeah. And the lady that's a possible cop that Matthew Lillard's daughter knows they murdered like five people the day before. Yeah. I, yeah. Those corpses are rotting in in that building and another yes. room. All, all five yeah. of those corpses, which again, the, the cops are apparently not looking for their families are not looking for them. Nobody cares. Yeah. And then something happens that, I don't understand even more so than I don't understand all the other things that I don't understand. And now first <laughs> Vanessa uh, says something that is quite sensible that he says, you should stop asking Abby to interrogate the robot ghosts about what happened to your brother. You really should just let it go, which to me, it, it, <laughs> that is true. He should stop doing that probably for different reasons. Yeah. Like therapy. Yeah. But then there's this <laughs> thing where Abby goes up to where the robots have started playing a song and she goes up there and touches the guitar, Freddie's guitar, or whichever one plays a guitar. Yes, and it shocks her. And it shocks her and knocks her unconscious. And it's like this big scene, like like an explosion of sparks. And like Vanessa knew it was going to happen. It's like, no, don't touch guitar. And it blows her backward and it knocks her like it's enough current to blow her off the stage. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they're like, no, she's just fine. That's, that's never mentioned again. No. <laughs> and then they go to... The uh, parking lot, it's now the daytime. That's the end of, of night four. The shift is over. Vanessa has been there all night. Oh, yeah. With mm -hmm. him. Her beat is that one restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Which, which to be fair, there were five people killed there. But <laughs> <laughs> no one no one knows that. And uh, suddenly says, um, if you ever bring Abby back here again, I will shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> After they spent all night building a fort with the robot ghost children. Yeah. yeah. I've had dates go like that, though, for real. <laughs> Where they, you know, it just didn't, she wasn't feeling it. But also, like, that was an electric guitar. I mean, clearly, yes. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> oh, that was that was your joke? I wrote that. You think that is a Chekhov's gun thing? Like, oh, yes. the guitar. Yeah, like I a thought short, it was. There's like a short in the guitar. So later, they're going to have to use a guitar to do something like because all the electronics are all very old and they probably are all afraid. Right. Uh, no, no, it never comes up again. No. Nope. It had no impact on the story. They just moved on. It didn't affect anyone's actions. It, nothing. It, it's just a thing that happens. I, maybe a scene got cut. Maybe it references something from the game. Maybe it's an inside joke. It's got to be a reference to the game. Well, it's I mean, be. the one thing I will say is it does cause him to not bring her back the next night and to get the aunt to watch her instead. So it it does facilitate that, but that's just a he should have been doing that anyway. <laughs> like was the guitar that caused him, and not all of the other things? I think it must be all of it. The the all of it all basically rock music. Yeah. That's the it's, least weird thing that happened in the entire night they were there. Yeah, I, that, yeah. That the that the old electronics had a short is like that's the most that's the one thing that made sense in the world. That's the most, <laughs> and pardon the pun, grounded in reality thing that happens all night. Yes, and here's here's the crazier thing to me though, because so he leaves her with the aunt. She's not happy about it, but the aunt's just there to babysit, and then they're gonna have a longer conversation later. Yeah, he goes to work, and he knows that the robots are sentient, that they're possessed by dead children, and that they can electrocute people. And he just goes to sleep again. Like, yeah, he's cool. He's cool. Just chilling, taking a nap. Here's where the timing and the, the framework and the formatting gets the weirdest, because the ant comes in, he, he comes off his shift, it's in the morning, and, and it is in the morning because like, he doesn't have to come home and go to bed because he sleeps on, on the job. And the ant comes over in the morning. There is specifically eating pancakes. It's like it's breakfast time. Yeah. Yes. So he tells Abby, like, hey, the evil ant who smokes is here. 
and and Abby is furious about this. It's like I hate you to to have me be watched for one single day by this woman who smells like smoke. I hate you so much. And then he puts on his backpack and leaves. It goes back to work. Yeah. yeah. It's he he goes directly to night five at Freddy's. I <laughs> thought he was going there during his off hours. Uh, but no, it's it's night. It's so like they what happened to that day? Yeah. And, and I know why they couldn't. It's like, no, we have to get back at Freddy's. That's where the plot is occurring. But it's just maddening because so now the aunt has to she has to be there all day. And all night. And then, like, why did she have to come in the morning and then all through the night? It's so weird. The only thing I could think of, because I was thinking about that, too, is if because they've been up all night making a fort with the robots, that they then came home and slept all day and had breakfast for dinner. But, like, we don't know that. We All the information yeah. we have points to morning. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I don't know. Is the fort around for the final battle? No, it's gone. No, they they put that all that no that that was nothing. Yeah. They just they put that all back where it was. They put that stuff away. You know how fun it is to build a fort and then immediately take it down, Mikey? You know that fun game you played as a kid? I think it it purely exists for us to like the robots. That's the only reason those scenes are there, are for us to be like, oh, they're not all bad. Because they do turn on Matthew Lillard, and you're supposed to be like, yay, the robots got revenge. Because they do sort of kill their murderer at the end of this movie. But Well, but that's the thing that happens in horror franchises that go on very long. Because, again, this is the first five nights of Freddy's movie, but there apparently have been 27 of the games or whatever. <laughs> the villains become the star and you start to like yes. them. So like in the, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies by Nightmare on Elm Street 6 or whatever, Freddy is a purely comical character and you're rooting for Freddy. And, it, you know, same thing at, you know, Friday 13th by however many movies end, like you're rooting for Jason to do the big spectacular kill. You're not rooting for the victims to get away. It's, it, you're there to watch the, the bad guy. So I'm guessing in the games, First game, they're evil animatronics trying to eat you. I'm guessing that by game five, six, seven, they've gotten into the war and they're actually just ghost children that are being trapped against their will. And now you're rooting for the the robots to some degree or they're the star of the show. So the same thing where it's like, well, they can't be purely evil. So they have to do this balancing act where it winds up making them not scary at all. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he goes back to work uh, and goes immediately back to sleep. But in this dream, they're like, we want Abby. And they try to stab him in the dream. And he wakes up in that murder chair uh, around all of the other bodies. Now, at this point, we cut away back to the house where the robots have arrived at the house. Just one. At which we got to talk about them taking a taxi. Yes. They straight up took a taxi to the house. Now, (laughs) this is why if you're making this movie as its own thing, the entire thing has to take place at Freddy's, right? Because seeing the robots outside of the context of Freddy's, they just look ridiculous. Like the whole idea is that it's the setting. This is their domain. (laughs) Like in Freddy's, they rule. Like they, you're trapped in there. They know the area. They can get around in the vents. You're helpless. Once they show up at your house after having taken a cab there, how did Freddie pay for the cab? Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know if people who have not seen this movie think we're joking about him having taken a cab. Basically, there's a jump scare where he appears in the aunt's house, or I guess it's Mike's house, but where the aunt is there. And yeah. she may be dead. We never see her again. She's on the floor. Yeah, we don't know. And you just see her. Her, Yeah, she's knocked out or whatever, but she's been 
badly injured one way or the other. Terminator 2'd. Yeah. And the animatronic, like the ghost child comes out of the animatronic and says, let's go to Freddy's or whatever. And then they go out and there's a cab waiting out there. The cab that the animatronic bear took to to the house. (laughs) And then asked them to wait while they picked up the girl and then came back. What we need is that taxi arriving there i want to see that exchange right like him getting out and being like hey can you keep the meter running i'll be right back <laughs> and then scatting up to the door <laughs> uh, this is <laughs> this is our second youtube sighting in the movie yeah uh this is uh let's play youtuber Corey x kenshin who not only gets to be the taxi driver and gets a couple lines but also has like a stinger scene at the end uh, which, according to Armando, got like standing ovations when he saw it. So, man, people love this franchise. Well, and and he specifically played Five Nights at Freddy's, yeah, and okay. each of his videos about it have garnered over a million views. So, like, yeah. he's like one of the Five Nights at Freddy's guys. So, if you are big into the game, you probably know who he is. That's cool. I didn't know. So. Yeah, me either. Sure. I had no idea. Anyway, they take a cab back to the restaurant. But in the meantime, Josh Hutcherson has woken up and uh, Vanessa, the cop, is leaning over him trying to help his wounds. Is just like, oh, we're at like a police supply closet. Wink. Like, um, <laughs> but this is where she's like, hey, Abby's in danger because turns out a bunch of kids died here because an evil guy killed all of them, but then also put their spirits into the robots, but also their bodies into the robots. And also, spoiler alert, it is my father who also took your brother. I didn't know that it was you until right now, in which case I might have maybe stopped becoming an accessory to murder because I definitely want that dick. But like, (laughs) for right now, we just got to be safe. And at this point, (laughs) there's 20 minutes left in the movie. The way they kept like one upping the previous reveal to like another bonkers level was so much fun though i loved that the, the thing is like she's like look it's not just their ghosts that are in the robots it's their bodies too like this <laughs> is supposed to be a shocking revelation where in reality it's like that's not any weirder at all <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> as weird <laughs> i previously lived in a universe where it was possible to stick a corpse inside of an animatronic suit like i could do that if given enough time and the right tools like i could stick a child's body in there if you, if i had to for some reason the soul is weirder the fact that the that the child's soul animated the machine and made it start walking around that utterly destroys everything the science knew about the universe yeah like everything i thought i knew about reality is gone it's it's like no this is other thing is incidental it's no weirder than like yeah i figured it was something like that i don't know like what it's like, no, their bodies are in there. It feels like they're aggressively like, yeah, it's whatever, because it's like everything. Like, it's it's their bodies are also in the robots, but they're haunted by ghosts, and that's what's moving the robots. Like, what is it? But electricity is the key to shutting them down for some <laughs> okay. reason. Yeah. Well, okay. We're going to look. <laughs> when criticizing movies, I try never, never, never to say this was lazy or criticizing games. Sure. It is a giant pain in the ass to make a movie. Of course, yeah. Yes, it is. It's hard for me to make TikTok videos, and it's literally just me in my chair. And that takes me like two hours. Like, (laughs) I find that difficult. This movie, you look at the credits, there's like 400 people worked on this movie, and it took years of production to make. So uh, it's not lazy. But (laughs) (laughs) he says the key to beating them is electricity. 
here's a, she has a cattle product. She's like, here, we have this. We use it. She has to explain. We use it for animals, for animal control. Because like, you know, because otherwise I know you think it's weird. Because they're still pretending she's a cop. <laughs> right. I know you think it's weird that I have this. <laughs> and then she also gives him a taser. And then he, it turns out that, yeah, you just hit him with the taser. They just fall right over. That, that's, which again, I'm sure that's from the games. Yes. But there is zero... Look, I, I hope I'm not annoying people with the screenwriting talk, but when you're writing a movie, you do multiple things at once. So, for example, if your character is fighting a bad guy, there's two things you're accomplishing. One, you know at the end of that scene he has to get past that bad guy and go into the, the next thing. And two, you reveal something about his character by how he fights. Yeah. You do two things at once. So if if your if your main character, for example, is a precocious child, then it's fun to see what clever little solution they come up with to thwart the big mean bad guy that you have revealed something about their character while also advancing the action and while also advancing the plot. So here, this character, Mike, there's no character whatsoever. We don't know one single tiny thing about his hobbies, his temperament, his personality, anything. What does he like to do? What are his hopes, his dreams? What does he enjoy? What would he be doing if he wasn't doing this job? We know nothing about him beyond he's just following the paint-by-numbers plot. Right. So when she gives him a taser, like you think about scenes where Indiana Jones had to fight a bad guy and all the clever little things he does and how cocky he is sometimes about it and, and you know, and he, how he outsmarts some people, but other people he has to just fight them. And then um, – and here it's like here's a chance to show him he's your protagonist. How does he overcome this this gang of robot ghosts? And the answer is he just walks up to him and hits them with the, the electricity and they fall right over. And that's it. He just walks past them. That's it. That's your whole scene. That's your action scene. For two of them, Jason, he pours water on their stage and shoots one of them in the leg, thereby electrocuting both with one shot. Yes, yep. Which would have been a slightly cool thing if you had built it up to oh my gosh, I only have one charge left on the taser, right. but there's two of them. And then he, they, they've they like got him down and he like, wait, he kicks over a mop bucket and then shoots the thing. It's like, ah, he, he thought his way out of it. No, that's the first thing he does. It's the first kill is those two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he just, he has multiple shots of the taser. He just did it to save time. Yeah. It's like, well, it'll be quicker if I just dump this. Like they didn't see him coming. They're just up there kind of minding their own business on the stage, I think. I think they're just playing music. <laughs> they were playing the song. Yeah, they just were just like singing life. along. Yeah. They're not bothering anybody. And then he just dumped the water down that just commits assault against these robots. They could have charged him with a crime for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I read a, wrote a joke about the kids being the kids' bodies trapped in the skeleton. I cannot okay. wait. Can't Let's wait. Let's do this. They're ectoskeletons. It's pretty good. Instead of exoskeletons. There you go. Yep. Oh, yeah. all right. All right. It would have been more right. poignant like two minutes ago. But like, uh, sure. <laughs> we can they can edit it in yeah yeah, yeah. I'll just drop it in i'll just drop it in yeah, yeah no worries uh we do jump to a montage of, of them trying to beat the robots including an almost shot for shot of the jurassic park raptor kitchen scene with yes. abby and and chica clever chica clever chica it all coalesces around this idea of like the yellow rabbit is the villain we have not seen other than the pictures on the wall we have no context for who a yellow rabbit is or would be or why but lo and behold a yellow rabbit appears because vanessa said he was coming and it's matthew lillard because of course it is because there's no way they were only going to have him in two minutes of the movie he has to be in more of it it's amazing also when this 
Yellow Rabbit looks 99% like Freddy yes. Fosbear. Like, yeah. Because like, there's this big musical sting where he walks in. It's like, oh, my gosh, we defeated all the other rabbits. But it's like, oh, but the big boss is coming out. And he just looks like one of the – like you – again, <laughs> if you are not familiar already with the the rabbit – you don't know why this is supposed to be a big deal. It just looks like one more because in your mind, it's like, well, I remember one of them was like a, one of them's like a chicken, one's a bear, one's a, it's like, is this one of them? Yeah. yeah. Didn't they shock that one already? And it's like, no, it's like, dun, dun, dun. It's, and it's something you've never seen before. Again, people who've played the game are like, oh my gosh, it's the rabbit guy. It's the yellow rabbit guy. Yes. The reveal is not like the alien queen. You know, it's not the same level. Oh, yeah, exactly. But he literally just takes off his rabbit mask and it's Matthew Lillard and he's just like, hey, and Vanessa's just like, dad, no! Like, it's <laughs> because two minutes ago we got exposition about who this was going to be. When he just throws away the fact that he killed our main character's brother. Yes. Because I I was blown away because I thought that we were going to get some sort of resolution in the dream world where they were going to reveal that in the dream world, like a young Matthew Lillard or whatever. Right. And he'd be like, oh, my God, it's the guy. And then he was going to reveal himself. No, none of the dreams pay off at all ever. And it's like. 12% of this movie. Well, and so this is where we get the idea of like, well, they like when you draw a picture. So if you draw a picture and put it up on the wall, explaining that he is actually evil, <laughs> then they'll turn on him. So that's what they do, which is a very game mechanism. Cause like, yeah, that's very much a challenge you would have in a game to like get it to the wall and whatever. She essentially assembles a Crayola PowerPoint presentation yeah. about what happened to them. And they just don't remember their murders because a part of their soul slash body reassignment to the robot surgery wiped that information from them, I guess. Big if true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it seems to work because they turn on him and they eat a chunk of his ribs. And then the like metal ribs that keep him in the suit are kind of like stabbing him. And he. Yeah, they're like, they're like biting down on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they like leave him there. They don't make sure he's dead. And he's just like, I always come back. And I was like, seems like it because no one's here going to finish the job. Well, the robots are dragging him off as yeah. he's dragging off the yellow rabbit's daughter because she got stabbed fighting with her dad. That's right. That's right. He did stab her. Yeah. Never been established that he always comes back. That's never that's never been a thing. I know this is the first movie. He can't have always come back in the first movie, guys. I thought that that line was nuts. It was very Terminator. Sure. But like yeah. Terminator 2, in which he had already come back once. Right. This is what I was trying to get at earlier. You have like six consecutive revel revelations they have to get through in a few minutes because they spent the whole movie just wasting time with him going back home and then going to sleep and then having the same dream. Like we see his brother get kidnapped in a dream i think five different times they just repeat yeah. that same footage over and over and over they waste so much time and you've got all of the stuff to dole out it's just that you have to get to being attacked by the animatronics right away yeah like you know, like 30 minutes in the the hero has to be getting attacked by animatronics yeah and then untangling this web of this convoluted scheme because okay i get the matthew lillard killed the children how did he do the supernatural thing with yes, their right. souls? Is he a wizard? He put their corpses into the animatronics, but his his whole backstory is that like it is, is did he own 
Freddy's? Is he the inventor? Is he the guy who invented the animatronic? So th- I didn't know that either. Was he the animatronic guy that they talked about? I think so, yes. Is he old enough? Yes, and I think he's the animatronic guy. And and she posits that like no one would think to look here. No one would look inside the animatronics. I was like, pretty sure they would smell it yeah. in a restaurant. And be dripping a fluid of decomposition. Yes. Yeah, like five corpses walking around yeah and then he had to transport them there and there there were all sorts of records of you know of him having contact with them at various times it so the important thing that you need to know which is what are the nature of his powers because he's clearly supernatural in some way he's able to harvest these souls keep them alive in the machines and then use their souls to power the machines but also to manipulate their mind. So he is a magical being. He is he is a sorcerer. He's a necromancer. He's something. In any other horror movie, you would get that. Like he has this power, and you would find out that he's, you know, 500 years old, or he has come across a magical book. Or yeah, he's found a technology that does this. He's right. downloaded their their minds. It's the uh, the heart of Domkaya amulet or whatever from Child's Play. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's something that's important because it's not nitpicking. It's not just backstory. When he shows up, he is much less of a threat than the animatronics because he's just a guy. Yeah. She ha- Vanessa has a gun. Yeah. And doesn't mm-hmm. shoot him, won't shoot him. No, she shoots him in the arm. She does shoot him. Oh, yeah, that's and right. And it wounds him. Yeah, he's just a dude in a suit. It's not the thing where you expect where she would unload her gun into him and it does nothing and you realize, oh, his power over life and death and the soul and all that, like his own body is an animated thing. Yeah. Like he's already dead or something. Like he has no, like really, creep people out you know because he's this necromancer but it's not she wounds him and it's clearly it's clear that it hurts him a lot it's like oh she could just shoot him in the head yeah which you cannot do the animatronics they're big bulky robots that are very scary because they're big and strong and they can rip a person in half we've seen them tear somebody in half yeah matthew lord can't do that he's just a dude so (laughs) him taking that thing off and it's, it's just him in the suit is a relief. Yeah. Because like, oh, I thought you were like a stronger robot that could tear me to pieces. You're just a middle-aged man who works at a temp agency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's real weird that you're a killer, but you're unarmed. You didn't bring a gun or anything. You're just in your stupid... Yeah, you brought bunny ears to a gunfight. The other robots gang up on him and easily defeat him because he's just a, just a dude. Uh, and then the restaurant collapses down and that's their excuse for... For like, oh, well, it's we'll never find him underneath this rubble, whimsy sheetrock and boards that fell on him. Like, we certainly couldn't just dig him out in 20 minutes and make sure he's dead because it is just it's not like a, a, it's not like a skyscraper fell on him. It's just a restaurant roof. It's yeah, it'd be, it'd be easy to find him in, in half an hour of digging. You could get him right out of there and shoot him in the head several times. Make sure he's, make sure he's dead. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. The restaurant collapsed on top of him. He's he's buried. He will never be found for a thousand years, even though somebody owns this property and they're going to come and clear it off. Because <laughs> if the person who know. killed my brother said, I always come back and then I didn't physically watch him die, I'm definitely going to dig him up and shoot him in the head, you know, or or have him arrested. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. He killed children and he's responsible for the deaths of several other people. It would be hard to explain to the cops how those other people died. But just tell Matthew Lord that, that that's, that's, you know. I would just be like, there's five kids' bodies in that wreckage you should go look yeah. for. Yeah. This dude was like an extreme furry and was like, 
really weird about it. Yeah. And they open up <laughs> any of those uh, robot suits and you're going to find a skeleton in there and you will match the dental records to these kids who went missing however many years ago. And uh, yeah, that's that's the guy that did it. There you go. He's a necromancer. You don't even have to tell him that part. Just, just tell him. Yeah. Yeah. I probably wouldn't use the word necromancer with a cop just in general. Yeah. Yeah. There's no need. Just let them handle it. Yeah. Just be like this really fucked up guy who's in the animatronics put kids' bodies in these animatronics, and then he wears a furry bunny suit sometimes, and I'm a security guard. Y'all need to deal with this. This is above my pay grade. I'm out. Mm-hmm. All I do is sleep here. I don't know anything about the animatronics. I do have a big question for the group. Okay. Okay. Whose father is worse? The cop's father, Matthew Willard, or... The main guy's father, because he's not even in their lives. I mean, I definitely have to say the child murderer slash person who put the child's bodies inside of robots is worse than just a guy who went to go get cigarettes and never came home. Right. Why (laughs) did he do any of that? Nobody knows. (laughs) This is something you need in a movie generally is you need to know why the even in a monster movie where it's it's like because, you know, I can. A movie like Halloween, the fact that Michael Myers has no purpose for his killing, they address it. Like, they directly, that's that's Dr. Loomis, who, to be frank, not a very good doctor, is like, oh, I've known since he was six years old, he was pure evil. He's just he's just evil. He just kills. It's like, okay, that's fine. That's what's scary about him, is he has no reason. But usually, you know, it's a haunted house. There's a reason the ghost is hung around. They were murdered. Right by the previous owners or they're trying to unfinished business whatever yeah, yeah. They, they've got something in because again this is not nitpicking it's crucial to understanding the story is what does he what is he trying to do what is matthew lillard's character what is his goal it's like well the goal is to kill uh mike because he killed mike's brother it's like okay but why but why yeah was he assembling why does he put them in the animatronics is he assembling an army is it a a science he's experimenting with is he seeing what was possible what is he trying to do so when he told mike like he hired him to be the security guard at freddy's what was his end goal what what did he want to happen what did he what's he trying to get another corpse for his robot army what happened to that security guard that they put in the chair at the, the beginning? I wondered that too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought the whole deal was that he was putting them inside the robots or, or whatever, but yes, it's just never explained. And again, somebody's going to say, well, but that's why they're making a movie two and a, and a three, but it's like, no, you needed to know that for this movie. Yeah. Because to understand why he showed up in the robot, why did he show up in the bunny suit? Why did he put it on? It's like, is he just crazy? So my headcanon was like, I was filling in the gaps with like child serial killer stuff, which is not good, which is like his motivation is very dark and very not great. And like, I think a necromantic motivation would be like, I needed five kids souls to be immortal or something would have been better for me than just like, I really, really enjoy killing kids. And then also now there's a creepy animatronic aspect to that. And they're all dressed up like furries. Yeah. Yeah, because he basically just seems like he just gets off on killing people, the kids, and then people associated with the kids. I guess. Yeah. And then security guards, which is a weird you know, thing. But again, him being a child murderer and owning a restaurant for kids, that makes sense. Yeah. He's giving himself access to the kids. Right. And then the way you build that out is it's like, yeah, kids went missing at this restaurant. 
and then the owner disappeared right because they figured out that this restaurant was a front it was just his way of getting access to to kids and and he was murdering them and doing weird things with their bodies and then you have him turn up and you realize oh this is that long lost he's changed his appearance or whatever this is that long lost owner he yeah he's come back to town and then that that suddenly makes sense but again that's a very easy change to make for the hundredth time. They probably could not make it because it's in the game. It's not part of the game. But yeah. then we get the epi- epilogue where it turns out that uh, this chain of events has cured Abby. Yeah. Of her uh, social development, her stunted development as a child. She's now socializing just fine. So the stuff that happened <laughs> where she spent several <laughs> nights at an abandoned restaurant <laughs> and saw uh you know, a, a woman be stabbed in front of her, saw her aunt get attacked and possibly killed by a robot ghost child, and then narrowly escaped a serial killer who had killed many children who tried to kill her. And then she was attacked multiple times by by robots, uh, including at one point, I think that that cupcake attacked her. Uh, now she's that fixed her. She's great. That fixed her psychological problems. She is. Yeah. Never been better. Like Christmas vacation. Like it's like, what about Bob too? Right. It's like extreme therapy apparently works. Yeah. As a therapist, I will say if you have a traumatized <laughs> child, you just want to <laughs> traumatize them a lot until they're no longer traumatized. That's generally how it works. That's sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. That's sarcasm. That sounds like terrible advice. Yeah. Please don't do that. Mikey is actually a therapist and would never do that. No. Right. Would never do that. He would be their soccer coach, though. And uh, in that, in the happy epilogue, Abby asks her big brother, father figure, Mike, if she can go back and visit her possessed robot friends sometime. Yeah. I did love that final scene because it is very much like the subtext of that scene is, hey, Josh, are we going to get a sequel? I don't know, man. It depends on how it does at the box office. Well, I hope we get a sequel scene. (laughs) Like, that is the subtext of that final scene. And I was like, you're getting a sequel, buddy. Don't worry about it. I wanted a scene of like, we got to turn in this cop, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then being like, what cop? Cop, air quotes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what exactly, cop? Paige. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, everyone involved is going to have a lot of questions that they're going to have to answer. And no, he is not still going to have custody of his little <laughs> no, sister. Absolutely not. Because remember, the aunt was murdered in his house. They have no suspect because it was done by a robot ghost. There's no DNA. <laughs> that is a crime that would make international headlines. Like the, the neighbors saw a robot walk out of the house. Like like a, a, the guy across the street captured this on his phone camera. He recorded a, an animatronic walking with the child out of the house with a corpse lying in the living room behind it. They got into a cab. Yes. We've we've definitely arrested this cab driver, asked him, "Oh yeah. What why did he give a ride to this sentient like rotting robot thing with no money?" <laughs> That can't speak. And he said it like it wasn't even the weirdest thing he had seen that night. He was like, why do I always get the weird ones? Like, that's not weird. That's next level. Like, there would have been investigation, but unfortunately, that middle-aged woman smoked. So we're just going to have to (laughs) let that one go. She is clearly the villain. (laughs) Right. But her asking, like, hey, can we go back to the collapsed restaurant and visit my robot friends under the rubble sometimes? Like, "Ah, we'll see. It's like. No, the, the answer to that question is no. 
<laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you cannot wholeheartedly. No, ma'am. We're yes. yeah. In fact, we're moving to Canada. We're leaving the country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I could afford to move us to a different landmass, I would. We're going to get as far away as we can. Yeah, because that was weird as hell. And I'm having nightmares even when I'm not asleep about that <laughs> night when we were attacked by those robot ghosts and that serial killer. And I will never be normal again. Uh, yeah, my my sanity has been shredded. So no, no, Abby, we will not be visit visiting your corpses embedded in mech suit furry <laughs> robot murderer friends who, by the way, your friends murdered a group of people. For the, not out of self-defense. Like, they, those people broke into the restaurant. To, they were vandals. Yes. They weren't even there to rob the place. And they murdered like it wasn't the first time they'd murdered. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it wasn't the first time. Yeah, you, they've murdered a security guard. Like, they've got a long rap sheet. They, it, it, they can argue that they were not culpable for that. That's not for us to decide. Not even the legal system is equipped to decide at what point a necromanced child soul <laughs> is culpable for the murders it commits when embedded in a robot suit. But it is definitely not our thing anymore. <laughs> this chapter of our lives is over and we're never yeah. going to discuss it again. You remember that we had a brother, right? We're never talking about him or his murderer again. That's such younger sibling energy of like, you go through this and they're like, I'm fine. Let's go back and visit. And you're like, oh, fucking I hate babysitting. <laughs> when are you 18? Right. But that is the end of the movie. Like that is the movie, right? Yes. And I do feel like we've been talking a little bit about final thoughts, but do you guys have any final thoughts about the movie? I think that mine mainly is... I think they tried to fit in too much of the lore and it feels inaccessible to someone who like hasn't played all the video games. Sure. But I did enjoy the crazy twist and turns. Would I watch it again? No. Yeah. No, I'm kind of in the same boat where like I fully recognize that my issues and misunderstandings about what's going on are most likely because I have not played the games and maybe I will someday, but I, I feel like if you weren't a fan, it's just not for you. You know, it's not yeah. meant for you <laughs> in yeah. a way. I agree. Yeah. I think maybe we're just too old to get it. And I'm okay with that. That's right. No cap. <laughs> this movie was bussing. Yeah. Um, I think they put out the minimum possible effort that they could. For one thing, we we not made a way to mention this production does not look like a film. It looks like a streaming, a director streaming it does. production. It, yeah. There's nothing about this that looks like a theatrical release. The animatronics, I appreciate that they did suits. They look decent. They're they very, I'm sure they're very, um, they're very accurate to the game. They're Henson did them. Yeah. They, the way it's staged, the way it's shot, the way it's lit, there is nothing about this where they tried to put in the extra little bit of effort to give a little bit of flair because uh, horror is all about atmosphere. Yes. And here where, you know, everything about the town they live in, everything, every scene that acts as a transition, when you're trying to write these things, you're always trying to add that extra little bit of something on top of it to, to make it just a little bit it's got to be funny or it's got to be something, you know, if, yes. if you got a scene where this guy has to meet with his career supervisor, the supervisor, you know, watch a Coen brothers movie. There'll be something weird about them. They'll, they'll have some affectation or something. They'll have a weird hat. They'll have a weird office. They'll have a cat on their desk, something, something 
that's just a little bit, it's a little bit more. It's something, you know, something creepy about this town or, or anything. Do you remember anything about the score or the soundtrack other than the songs, the song that the animatronic band played? Do you remember anything about the sound design? There are all these little touches that even a low, low budget horror film, and there's a lot of really good low budget horror out there. Yeah. It doesn't take money. It's things, it's just the skill of filmmaking that adds a sense of dread to a film. It, you know, there's things you can do with the color grading where it, it just, you know, they can make it just add a sense of oppressive something or just everything is a little bit weird. Everything's a little bit off and just to add some flavor to it. And they, instead it's shot like, I don't know, an episode of a TV show, like something you would see, like I said, on streaming, where it's just a very quick and dirty, yeah. the thing that went up on whatever. And it's something that you would see on the old Disney channel or lifetime. One of those lifetime movies, good example, where it's just, they had very little time to shoot it. Yeah. You know, boom. It feels like one of the scarier episodes of a, like the stranger things season, you know? Yeah. Like there are some quote, scary elements, but they're not like super scary and it doesn't hold the tension as well. I, I even think that some of the scary, like I think stranger things from a director of photography standpoint, I think are shot better than this movie is. Oh, you could go side by side and take any scene from like the, their home, the protagonist's home, and say the home that Winona Ryder's character lives in a Stranger Things and just yeah. observe the set decoration. Observe how they, they took the 80s stuff and that aesthetic and just packed everything. And it's a little bit kind of dumpy and run down. It looks like people have smoked in there. And it it builds part of that atmosphere of that show, everything. Yes. It, you know, the way they dress the sets is very good in Stranger Things. The sound yeah. design is great in Stranger Things. That is like an upper end example. And that's a streaming series. That's not a theatrical exactly, release. Yeah. Here, I don't, again, I don't want to call it lazy. I feel like stuff made for kids and stuff that's just a tie-in to a property, it is very easy to say, we're just going to, you know, it's like those old direct-to-video Olsen Twins movies they used to make, where it's just like they're cranking this thing out. It's a very pay-by-number script. It's for toddlers to see the Olsen Twins. Bitch. You know, that Mario Brothers movie that came out recently, there was extreme effort in that to make it yes. pop and make it vibrant and make it, you know, the animation, even if, you know, they didn't work very hard casting the voice actors. Uh, <laughs> it's That was a beautiful piece of art. That, that was extreme effort, expense, time and care, even though it is made for children. It's a video game tie-in. I think here they did the minimum, the absolute minimum. And I get annoyed when stuff for kids is treated that way because yeah. there's a lot of incredible art that was made for kids. Disney, you know, had some animated movies for kids that are incredible pieces of timeless art and they knew it was for kids, but it's like, no, kids deserve great art. They, they deserve stuff that they will treasure their whole lives. Whereas this feels like, look, they're going to come see this no matter what. Yeah. It does not matter. They're going to show up and buy their ticket no matter what. And they knock this thing out. They, they said it had a budget of $20 million dollars. It looks like it was shot for five. Yeah. That's that's a lot for the way this looks. Yeah, I've seen Willy's Wonderland, and it's a much lower budget, I think, than than this movie, and it looks pretty much on par with this movie. Like the animatronics look a little worse, but like it's pretty much the same movie, but one night, which makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, Willy's Wonderland was a five million dollar budget. Yeah, yeah, and four million of that went to Nick Cage. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But Paige, do you have any fun facts for us? I do have fun facts. Well, here it is with your fun facts. 
Robots, fun fun facts. So Foxy, who's the animatronic with a hook, he has a largely skeletal structure. So he's one of the only ones that's not a suit, but he was built as a full body animatronic puppet. Oh, cool. And was puppeted by uh, Russ Walco, along with a group of puppeteers from the Henson Creature Shop. Henson Creature Shop did most of the animatronics in this movie. Foxy took six puppeteers. Wow. Each of the individual suits, even if they had somebody within them, took between two to six puppeteers to make them move wow. and, and look alive. Which is wild for how little we see them move in this movie. <laughs> because you really just occasionally see them shoulders up turning. And that's about it. So it's wild that they spent that much time on it. Except for the, the few singing scenes. So uh, for shots where the characters aren't moving, the puppeteers would control both the head and body movements. And in rare instances where a character would walk or dance, a stunt performer would actually be inside the costume while the puppeteers okay. controlled the heads remotely. Okay. So sort of like your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies from like the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the old ones. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Which looked better than this because the yes, that yeah, is sure, shocking sure, to sure. hear how much effort went into that. They had yes. to have cut a ton, a ton of animatronic action scenes. I, I think in the editing bay, they decided it didn't look good or they couldn't make it Something. look right because- it, it constantly looks like they're shooting around. Yes. Like they will just show Foxy's feet. Yeah. Or just his head. I keep calling it Foxy. I think that was, I thought that was the name of the. One of them is Foxy. Yeah. Foxy's okay, the one that go. doesn't have a suit. That's fully animatronic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now the opening credits are depicted in an Atari based eight bit computer graphic. Yeah. Uh, showing the events that lead to the pizzeria closing for business. Oh, no shit. Okay. Which, of course, because we, we didn't know go, that yeah. going in, we didn't know to pay attention. If I were to watch it again, I would have paid attention. Uh, but uh, that style of storytelling is present in the majority of games. So whenever yeah. the games break for exposition, mm. it's in that style. So I do have, I, I will have to recuse myself for box office because I do have oh, it we've, here. We've talked about it. Yeah, feel free to. Sure, sure, sure. So this this grossed eight million domestic. I'm sorry, eighty million domestically. I was about to say, yeah, yeah. It's opening weekend. Uh, this is more than any other Blumhouse film, surpassing Halloween 2018 <laughs> at 76 million. It's the second biggest opening weekend for any film based on a video game after this year's Super Mario Brothers that came in at 146 million. Um, this is also Blumhouse Productions' first ever video game film. And judging by the fact that it did really well, they're probably going to do a lot more. Yeah. Now, in 2020, Scott Cawthon revealed on the official Five Nights at Freddy's subreddit that multiple screenplays were considered, as well as explaining why those screenplays were rejected, uh, which I find interesting, considering how many writers still end up writing on this movie. Yeah. So you might be surprised. So I, I mentioned earlier up, up top that this thing has been in development hell for almost a decade before we get this movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about what happened. So uh, first and foremost, Warner Brothers was trying to make this years ago, uh, and then they lose the rights to Blumhouse. Uh, now, in that time, they released the Banana Splits movie in 2019, which fucking nobody saw, uh, based on an old Hanna-Barbera TV show that my mom watched when she was a child. Uh, but it was speculated that this was a reworking of their original Five Nights at Freddy's script okay. because they could no longer use it because they had lost the rights. That's because in 2014, when the, the game basically came out, like a year after the game came out, uh, they started development with Warner Brothers Pictures, 
with Roy Lee and David Katzenberg producing and Seth Graham Smith of uh, Pride, Prejudice and Zombies fame set to produce as well okay um gil keenan was their director and co-writer but after several delays in production uh the warner brother version was no longer moving forward and their director and writer dropped out now here's the thing about making movies and jason you can back me up on this when you purchase the rights to a property it's called optioning which means you only own the rights for a certain amount of time and if you do not act or exercise that option and start producing that project the rights go up for sale again. Um, That's why a lot so, of the Final Four movies are terrible. The Fantastic Four movies, That's what yes. I, yeah, the Fantastic yeah, yeah, Four yeah, movies, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, they are the like poster child for, for optioning issues. Yeah. Um, so in 2017, the option ran out, and Blumhouse takes over the rights to the movie with Chris Columbus set to direct and co-write, which I bet would have been what? fucking phenomenal. Yes. Like a Home Alone, like, First Harry Potter is yes. like that. Chris, okay, wow, that would have been wow. Okay, committed genocide, sailed across the ocean <laughs> blue. No, I'm kidding. not 1942 uh, <laughs> Columbus. Page 1992 Columbus. Uh, so, <laughs> but he also leaves the project. Uh, then Emma Tammy, the current director, was announced as his replacement in October of 2022. So he left literally around, around COVID. It took them years to then replace him. Uh, and then Jason Blum served as a producer on the film through Blumhouse Productions uh, in association with the game creator and uh, Scott Cawthon's productions banner, uh, which covers basically all of his game production, but also uh, any movie adaptations of his games. Uh, and that, that it's at that point that during essentially those COVID years, we get all the different rewrites that happen on this film to get the final version uh so that's how we ended up where we did but it took nine years for this movie to come out which is part of why other movies based on this movie come out in the interim including uh willie's wonderland because it is willie's wonderland is based on five nights at freddy's that they had to like you know not tm change the characters around to make that movie of course which beat it like it just ended up in pre-production for a shorter amount of time and so it comes out first they kind of beat them to it and i'll end on this one last fun fact because i know we're almost we're coming up on three hours um <laughs> the romantics talking in your sleep fucking banger that Love plays that multiple times in this movie uh it is having its 40th anniversary this year oh, which nice. is part of why they agreed to give the rights to the film and those are your fun facts. Well, thank you for those fun facts, Paige. We've already talked a little bit about box office, but let me just point out some things. Because we did talk that it was $20 million budget. It made $80 million in its opening weekend. It was number one that weekend. It actually unseated the Taylor Swift Errors Tour in theaters. Not mad uh, To it. be number one that its opening week. It also beat the number three movie was Killers of the Flower Moon. And number four was After Death. And number five was The Exorcist Believer. Um, it was number one for its first two weekends. It was number two in its third weekend and number five in its fourth weekend. It was in the top five for its first four weekends out. It then dropped to number 10 and was out of theaters, but it did bring in a total of $296.2 million in the box office. And again, that's this year. Now when it aired on Peacock, it became the most watched film or series Within its first five days on the streaming platform, it surpassed uh, previous record holders such as Halloween Ends, which we've done the movie. Uh, we've done that episode. Uh, it also surpassed Super Mario Brothers movie. So it was a very sought after stream as well once it hit their streaming platform. 
Anyway, that's your box office. Let's hit him with that scary scale. The scary scale listeners is a scale of one to ten of how scary we found this particular film when we watched it today. Our one example is Ghostbusters, and our ten example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Paige. Oh, this is a one for me. Jason. It's not trying to be scary. It's it, 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 To be clear, there's no... For people who have not watched this and are afraid it's going to be scary, they don't attempt to scare you. There's not even any attempted scares. It scares <laughs> like you would get in, like I said, like the Goose, Goosebumps TV show or something like that. But it's for, for, it's for kids. It's not it's not about the scares. Todd. So I'm going to give it a three because there were like oh. some jumpy moments that did make me flinch a little bit. But it's not. It's Jason's right. It's not scary. It's for kids. I give it one for me as well. And that's yeah. our scary scale. Well, Jason... I want to thank you so much for uh, fulfilling a, a dream of mine and, and guesting on our <laughs> podcast here. I appreciate it. Can you tell our listeners where they can get more of your content on and off of TikTok, where you have become quite famous recently? Uh, bizarrely, yes. I'm. I'm <laughs> most most people who know me now know me from TikTok. My username is Jason K Pargin, P A R G I N, on there. But I'm that same username on Twitter. X also on Threads and Blue Sky and Instagram and YouTube. Also, I'm on Facebook and Goodreads, and I'm sure there's some others that I've forgotten. Substack, I'm on all of them, but mostly <laughs> TikTok is where most people know me now. The book uh, is called Zoe is Too Drunk for This Dystopia. You talked about optioning film and TV rights. That's a great example. That is a case where when the book came out in 2015, I sold the film rights before the book was even published. But it's been with two, it's been with two different studios because if they will try to make it, if they can't get, you know, a, a an outlet or a studio or somebody to to fund a series, then after the year the rights just revert back to me. So the rights just came back to me a few days ago on the Zoe Ash novel. So if you're really? listening to this and you are a Hollywood producer, uh, <laughs> hit me up. But, but that's, but that's, again, I, maybe it'll be a show someday, but that's, um, and then I, the reason I have this career is because my very, very first thing I ever wrote, John Dice at the end, I wrote it for free on the internet and just posted as yeah. a series of blog posts and then sold the film rights to that. It had been, I had like published copies through a print on demand publisher and then sold the film rights and he made it into a film. Like yeah. that was a one, one in a million shot. That doesn't happen. All Usually yeah. 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 He emailed me out of the blues. Like, do you have an agent or whatever? I was like, no, I don't. I'm not a real author. I'm, I work at an insurance <laughs> company. I wrote this on my blog because I thought it was funny He's like, no, I want to make a movie out of it. And it's clear he didn't want to buy the rights just to have them like to sit on studios, it. just accumulate tons of properties and see which one they can get made. It's like, no, I want to make it as my next movie. And then bought it and a few years later. He's like, uh, yeah, it's like we've got Paul Giamatti on board and uh, some other some other names and running through the it's Clancy Brown and all these other people. So it was like five years from that point. It was five years later. It was 2007 when he bought the rights, I believe. And then it, I attended the premiere at Sundance in 2012. So it was a five-year process. Wow, wow. But that was your – I am a lottery winner because the the very first thing – that's the first piece of fiction I had ever written. It's the first novel I'd ever written. And this thing gets turned into a movie, and then I sold – like it got a, a publisher came along Macmillan and was like, we've heard you sold like the film rights to a thing you wrote on the internet. Do you want to also publish it as a real book? <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. So I they're like, do you have an agent? It's like, no. 
So I had to like call an agent literally it's like, do you know any agents? Like I asked the publisher this. I'd call an agent and say, hey, this thing that I wrote on the internet is already a movie and <laughs> Macmillan wants to release it as a hardcover. Can you talk to them and work out like like the contract? Because I get people asking me all the time, like young writers, like, well, how do you approach a publisher? How do you? It's like, I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was doing... When I say I worked in an insurance company, I wasn't like writing ads. I was doing data entry. I, like I, they, people have the insurance <laughs> form and I'd have to type it into the yeah. computer. It's a job that was automated like one year later. Like that job doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's like, no, I was doing, I was making the, like $8 an hour doing data entry. And and uh, anyway, we we're talking about the long path this game took to getting made. That's not unusual. This is the way. Yeah. And my, my situation is the unusual one where a mere five years from purchase to I'm watching yeah. it on a screen at Sundance with other famous people sitting around me. That's the unusual situation. So the thing with yeah. Zoe, where the rights have been out there for like eight years, it's bounced around to a couple of studios. They've pitched it a few times in different forms. And then now we're waiting for someone else to come along and, and try to pick it up. That's more... Because this is the question I bring this up. This is a question I get every time because people heard that saw like the press release that I had sold the film and TV rights. Like, well, where's it? When's the show coming? It's like, who knows? It'll show up. I think it'll show Maybe up somewhere. Maybe never. Yeah. yeah. On some streaming <laughs> service. Yeah. Most things never get made. That's the reality. There, you're, You are in a pile. You're, you're in a mountain of scripts and pitches. Mm -hmm. And they're they heavily lean towards stuff that's got an existing, you know, a much more popular book series, a much yeah. more famous author. Or video game series, right? Because they yeah, make money at the box office. Yeah. So, uh, you know, someday it may it may happen. But, you know, if you are listening to this and you're a famous producer, yeah, the rights, <laughs> the rights are available at the moment. Blum, reach out to Jason. You know, but yeah, Jason, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is sort of a dream come true for me. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So this week, you guys made us watch Five Nights at Freddy's. What are you going to make us watch next week as we continue our Yay, the Strike is Over month? We are about to celebrate our 300th episode. I know. I can't Ooh. believe it. It's crazy. And we wanted to mark the occasion with something big, notable, famous that we haven't done yet. And yeah. haven't touched yet, which is tough to do. It is. Because we've done 300 <laughs> movies so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing that we have really not touched on this on this podcast is Hitchcock. So for 300, we'll be doing the original Psycho. Yes. I'm excited about it. Mainly to get to Psycho 2, which I think is like the unhinged madness that I love in a movie. It is crazy. And also get to the Psycho remake. Uh, where there's a oh, butthole god. in the shower scene. <laughs> oh god, yeah, I forgot about oh, the Anne Hage. Bond that's stuff. right. I, yeah. I, Anne I listened butthole, to Kevin yeah. Smith's podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, your homework for next week is to watch the 1960s Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and then check back for that episode. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? No. I've... Well, while you're looking one up, like Mikey, let me uh, read one of our Spotify comments. And this was a comment left under our 30 Days of Night revisited episode that came out. Literally yesterday. Mm, snow Crixis. Yes. Um, and this one was from, well, okay. So two people left very similar comments. I'm going to read Gabe's and it says, I can't, I can't wait for Mikey to explain the five nights at Freddy lore next week, which <laughs> we aggressively did not get into because none of us understood it. So Gabe, I do yes. apologize that none of us, Went deep on the lore, but we uh, reviewed the movie, not the video games. I apologize. 
I don't play horror games. You can't manage any resources in them. <laughs> horror video games are terrifying. I hate playing them as well. But Mikey, whose review are you going to read this week? Thick Chicks. Ooh, what does Thick Chicks have to say? New favorite. Started listening a few weeks back, and now I'm blazing through episodes. Oh, nice. I loved the chemistry of the hosts. Very funny. Nice. I listen to a lot of horror podcasts like Colors of the Dark and Real Vile, but this is my new favorite. Five stars. All right. Aww, well, thank you. Thick Chicks, thanks so much for that awesome five-star review. And if you want to have Mikey read your five-star review or me read your five-star comment, leave us a Spotify comment or five-star review. So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including Tim. TikTok. Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J Awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horror virgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm, than the regular mm-hmm. feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys, check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you want to financially support me but not Todd, just look me up on Venmo. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable. That's fine. But if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash horror virgin. We also link it like once a week. So just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. Literally, we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. And if you want to check out our Twitch stream, we're at twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, where we will be playing horror video games. So if you have always wondered what it would be like to watch me get scared, you can now do that on Twitch while I play these horror games. It's twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, guys. Check it out. It's a lot of fun for you. Not a lot of fun for me. This episode was brought to you by Tia, and Tia's teenager's been, like, driving her crazy. So how has Tia's teenager been driving her crazy this week? She went to the police academy and then, like, became a career uh, police officer, but only to cover up the murders of seven children that her father did. Wait, so are you saying that Tia's teenager's dad is a serial killer of children? I'm not not saying it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Tia, you may want to look into that. Uh, but this episode is also brought to you by Jonathan. And Jonathan wants me to steal your screens and force you to watch a video. So I'm going to do that absolutely right now. This video is from TikTok called Pasta Con Asarde. Paige, I have a feeling this, this video is for you. It's cooking based. I feel like there's going to be a weird secret ingredient. <laughs> okay. It's a Sicilian dish if that helps. I feel like there's going to be a jump scare at any moment. That's like how damaged I am. Oh, raisins. You don't like raisins, Paige? I like raisins, but not a No, raisins are fucking disgusting. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't want raisins in fish, but... The flavor profile here is appalling. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. This does not look edible to me. It looks real gross. Yeah. Breadcrumbs aren't cheese. Cheese is cheese. That's going to be a gritty mess.
Yeah, that looks like <laughs> that looks you're terrible. eating sandpaper. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for that video and the support, but I would not recommend eating that dish. We now return you to another episode of The, the Patreonicals. Well, welcome back, listeners or whatever. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> and, you know, you don't want me to. So let's not, let's just go around the drama. <laughs> you know? I so, feel like Mikey's okay. about to break up with the Patreonicals. Like, it, that's like the conversation he is setting up right now. I love it. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> I don't remember what happened. <laughs> if you come back here, I'm going to shoot you. Okay. <laughs> How dare you quote the strangest line in this movie to me. Okay. All right, Isaac, we're going to fuck with you today. Isaac's driving his car. <laughs> He went to scout because they're looking for sticks to make a fire in the boiler room of the train. Don't ask. Madeline the Jester, he gets out to collect the sticks, which are really spiritual things in the Mad Max universe. Uh, <laughs> Madeline the Jester emails over, uh, windmills over, cartwheeling. Cartwheeling and dealing, baby, like a jester. and dealing. And then she opens up a, a jack-in-the-box, punches him in the face. Uh, Wes, the handsome dude, slaps him sillily and uh he falls unconscious right then and emotion joe edward big man on campus he's like talking like the mad man he's like bring him back to the base or whatever he's making me sad i'm emotion yeah. joe <laughs> <laughs> back over in the good guys big train convoy thing we Aaron, got a great train uh, convoy Moving great big train. Yeah, Aaron, who is good at bows and arrows. <laughs> yeah, they built her her own car, Mad Max vehicle that shoots its arrows because I didn't like her on top of the building with Sunzay, who's playing the guitar. He actually is roasting birds that fly by. They just get roasted by his flaming guitar, and then that is like lunch and dinner. Hey, bird, your forehead is ridiculous. <laughs> But then they tried to eat them, and they're actually drones that the left over from the government wars. Don't we'll get into it later. <laughs> Kate, uh, Kate puts together her car with psychic, her psychic telekinesis abilities, and that's how these things are getting built very fast. Karun and Natasha just—they've had to install curtains on their school bus van because they're just banging out these small children to ride these go karts. There's. I'm sorry. What they're doing? What to the small children? They are creating them with. They're okay. alien sex, which is okay, not cool. as sexual as our sex. No, they literally rub their butts together, Paige. Todd, I was more concerned with the fact that Mikey said they're banging out these young kids. Oh, yeah. I hated that sentence construction so much. I didn't acknowledge it. <laughs> well, I'm just glad someone's listening. You're welcome. <laughs> At the same time, Allie the mermaid is eating flecks of food. They found fish food in an abandoned aquarium. And they're putting it in, and she's eating them. And and uh, Bo Easy's very sad, very super sad because she's stuck in the uh, aquarium. What is it called? Is it if it's just one? Is it still an aquarium? The fish fish jail, Mikey? Yes, it's <laughs> an aquarium. <laughs> I don't know why you're searching for a bigger <laughs> word than aquarium. I a liquid I lost zoo. Oh my gas! Yeah, a liquid zoo. And uh, and but he, you know, he spends his time outside of her liquid cage and um he's built jeremy a new right foot 
Wait, a whole Ow. right foot or just a toe? I thought he was. No, he lost his full right foot last week. Oh, I that's rem- right. I took a notation. <laughs> but now he's got a very clunky robot foot that now shoots lasers like his eyes used to. Nice. But they're not lethal lasers because Bo Easy doesn't know how to make something like that. They're just laser light show level lasers. Cool. Libby comes up and she eats his old right foot because she was hungry and they are in the post apocalypse. Okay. A f- she has a $5 foot law. <laughs> She's an environmentalist. But what happens over the horizon? A red firework from Mr. Rage Bomb. <laughs> That says you look it's like you're em- asking us. <laughs> <laughs> it's physically hurting to think right now. <laughs> uh, and he says, there's an emergency. Isaac has not come back. I've done the red firework, which is the emergency one. And, and so River Moon grabs her Batman-like belt full of essential oils and roots and mushrooms and things and says, we've got to go help him. He's probably fallen ill. And... Um, <laughs> And then uh, Emotion Joe shows up with Sex Galibur, and Sex Galibur says, "They've got me and Isaac held hostage, and like, if y'all don't surrender, they're gonna murder him. And I don't know what they would do with me because I'm a talking sword still." <laughs> uh, and then uh, Vixen Avery was like, "I can get rid of this," and she tries to shoot Emotion Joe, <gasps> oh but God. he's inexplicably bulletproof and then he drives off laughing over a loudspeaker ah, mediocre <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of that i guess well i guess we'll have to wait till next week to find out just how exactly emotion joe is impervious to bullets on another episode of uh, the, the patreonicals that's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ookie spooky. Yeah. Have an amazing week. Bye. I think I would have liked the Nick Cage version better, nerds.